here with a mission, sir? I am. Trying to get me back in the world? Trying to save it. You think you're the only superhero in the world? You've become part of a bigger universe. You just don't know it yet. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. This is now playing's Avengers Retrospective Series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes type thing. Part of the now playing Marvel comic movie series. Well, I guess that's worth a look. Hosted by Arnie. Mommy's so happy you're here, she choked on her drink. <laughs> Jacob. Are you sure they can handle this? Oh, we can handle it. We're professionals. And Stuart. I know. Wasn't my idea. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, we will be reviewing all the Marvel Cinematic Universe movies featuring the superheroes Iron Man. I'm just not the, the hero type, clearly. The Incredible Hulk. He was a freak accident. The goal is to do it better. Thor. You're big. Fought bigger. Captain America. How many of you are ready to help me sock old Adolf on the job? Ant-Man. The ultimate secret weapon. Guardians of the Galaxy. What a bunch of a-holes. And the Avengers. I have an army. We have a Hulk. Let me emphasize that what I'm about to share with you is tremendously sensitive both to me personally and the army. This podcast will contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. I'm glad you asked that because I wanted to take this time to explain my evil plan. Listener discretion is advised. I've always been more curious than cautious. So, are we going to do this? Gentlemen, you're up. Today, we're discussing Ant-Man. Starring Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Corey Stoll, Bobby Cannavale, Michael Pena. Directed by Peyton Reed. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. And I know what you're thinking. How could anything so miraculous possibly be real? But I am. Stuart in L.A. And this is the host that's a neo-cubist kind of guy, Jacob. <laughs> One of the funnier jokes in this movie. I love that. Also the red wine bit. But we are here at the end of phase two. With Ant-Man? <laughs> Not Avengers 2, but Ant-Man. I guess they're going out small. That does seem to be the point this time, right? Downsizing expectations. Maybe the heft. We can all admit that what came out at the beginning of summer, now that we've had a couple of months away from it, certainly felt bloated, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, too many characters, maybe too much ambition. No one's going to say that about Ant-Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was hope, though. Yes, yeah, she was in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't hear you say the name, Arnie, but... Edgar Wright, he was all over the credits, which shocked me, and he was supposed to direct this. All right, let's talk about the cinematic history of Ant-Man, because I've been following this for so long. I saw things at Comic-Con. Ant-Man seems like almost Guardians of the Galaxy level to me. I knew what Ant-Man was. I've read Ant-Man comics back when I was a big comic guy in the 90s and some more recent ones. Really? Yeah. Did you have them in a brown paper sack so no one could see <laughs> that you were reading this? Ant-Man? You can't tell me this was a popular character. No, I mean, Robert Kirkman, who created The Walking Dead, did a run of Ant-Man, and even his popularity couldn't save it. No, but... 
mostly I read him because he was an Avenger. He was one of the founding Avengers. And so he was in a lot of comics I read. To me, as the non-comic book person, this sounds like one of those, I'm betting he's one of their first characters. Like him and Fantastic Four are just like in the 50s, the idea of shrinking and a shrink ray was so futuristic. That was when kids were reading him. And then everyone forgot for 40 years. No, no, he, they didn't forget for 40 years. I mean, he did start off in some one-off stories and Tales to Astonish. And then they're like, oh, this kind of shrinking guy that controls ants and other insects. That's kind of cool. Let's make him a founding member of the Avengers. He's been with the Avengers since the start. However, Stewart is right. I mean, the Fantastic Four were created in late 61, and Ant-Man was created in early 62. Yeah, there's just something retro about him, right? Like, even if you had a shrinking character, you wouldn't call him Ant-Man these days. That's It's just too geeky. It's just too 50s horror movie. I'm thinking about them, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just silly. Even Marvel, well, with Hank Pym, at least, the original Ant-Man, he has changed his name many times. He became Goliath because he could grow big and small. They've even tried to move away from that name, though they do have a current character that goes by the Ant-Man title. Ant-Man's the classic one, but yeah, he was Giant Man. He was Goliath. He was Yellow Jacket. Yep. Even the Wasp. (laughs) Yeah. So he has a history of writers saying, okay, he's a founding Avenger. We have to keep him. How do we make him worth a damn? (laughs) And so they wanted a movie for this guy. And that surprised me because I knew who Ant-Man was, but it does seem as risky as Guardians. I mean, like you say, he's so retro, so 50s, so dated that you feel like making an Ant-Man movie is akin to making an Adam West, Burt Ward Batman film. Like, that's got to be the flavor. Yeah, they don't make these kinds of characters today, you know, maybe in the 90s as a comedy. I could see it starring a comedian. It is starring a comedian. (laughs) Yeah, I guess Paul Rudd does comedies, but you, you know what I mean, like an Adam Sandler or something. Well, apparently in the 80s, Stan Lee really was pushing a studio to make an Ant-Man movie, and they were really close to it, and then the studio that was going to make it looked and said, oh, Disney's got a competing property that they're going to get out first with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, so let's not do this. I thought about that movie a lot while watching this, so that makes sense. (laughs) I think Batman set the tone for something darker, and the idea of a gothic Ant-Man is, well, hysterical. (laughs) (laughs) Ants are black, or some of them at least. Yeah, Christopher Nolan's never picking this one up. Well, the rights ended up over at Artisan, and in 2003, before there was a Marvel Studios, Edgar Wright was starting to pitch and write treatments for an Ant-Man film. And it didn't work out with Artisan, and he still had this idea, and then when Marvel Studios started to form in 2006, one of the first people they hired was Edgar Wright to make Ant-Man. Wow. And that was before he was anybody. I mean, Shaun of the Dead came out around that time. So, I mean, you're really talking about just basically some guy with a British sitcom. Which, oddly enough, would have probably got him the job today. It does seem like Marvel (laughs) is moving away from big directors. They don't want that. They want to control, and the director's there as a formality to make sure the cameras are rolling. And they've still always had cheap directors who hadn't proven themselves. I mean, Jon Favreau had Elf. I mean, yeah, he also had another Vegas movie, but Elf. And 
Kenneth Branagh was probably the biggest name director they had. Even Joss Whedon for the first Avengers was a TV guy. Yeah, I agree. They're a brand and they want to control the project and they want to be able to control the directors that are controlling their vision. So, yeah, they decided at some point they wanted Edgar Wright and at some point they didn't. Well, this is going right to what you said is they want to control the project. They want to control the director. That wasn't the case when they hired him in 2006. Think about the first Iron Man. Favreau made that movie. Marvel kind of looked over the shoulder, but there was no interference on that one. That all came with Iron Man 2. Hulk and Iron Man were pretty pure. And at this point, had Edgar Wright moved faster? Had this movie been made around the time of Iron Man 2 and been released then? I think we would have had a Scott Pilgrim-esque movie because Wright was just filling it with his vision, making it his movie. I saw the test footage. They showed us test footage in 2012 at San Diego Comic-Con. I was in the panel, primarily for Iron Man 3. Edgar Wright was up there. They still hadn't formally announced the project. Edgar's like, I really hope this is my next thing after Scott Pilgrim showed us test footage. Because I'm thinking, how the hell do you make an Ant-Man movie? You can't make this work. I love Edgar Wright, but I don't think he can make it work. When I saw that test footage... I was sold completely. What was it? You almost see it in this movie. I I do feel like I almost see an Edgar Wright film in this movie. So, yeah. (laughs) The scene pretty late in the movie where Scott is alone as the Ant-Man going against the two security guards and he goes small, grabs one's tie, then grows big and throws him over his shoulder. That's all straight from the Edgar Wright one. Admittedly, Edgar Wright shot it better and had, like, slow-mo effects that reminded me of Hot Fuzz. I was going to say, we'll talk about it more, but yeah, all that shrinking and growing, I'm like, man, if Edgar Wright was doing this, just thinking back on Scott Pilgrim and how he did all those quick takes and transitioning from place to place, I'm like, this would work so much better. The test footage is, is cheap and short, but I do recommend everybody who's interested go out to YouTube. It's out there with crappy sound. Somebody taped it at Hall H. And you can see what could have been because the action in his short made me a believer. And honestly, it's better than any action in the actual film. And it also had humor. He beats up two guys to get on an elevator. Reasons unknown. No dialogue in this thing. And after a massive fight where he's punching these guys and you're getting like this slow-mo motion effect and everything, then he just starts getting on an elevator where they're playing a Muzak version of It's a Small, Small World. So why did they dump him? If the footage was awesome and he's always wanted to do it and people love his stuff, what went wrong? Well, I dare say Edgar Wright is an auteur. I believe all of his films have a certain flavor, and that was not one that Marvel now felt fit in their universe. If it had come out in 2008, they would have gone with it. They didn't have the consistency, the showrunner thing. But the difference between what Edgar Wright was going to make and what Marvel Studios did make, per the people involved who saw both scripts, is this final one fits in the universe. Edgar Wright's was of a completely different tone. It was more comedic, more wacky. Guardians of the Galaxy? No, but keep in mind, Scott Pilgrim, where just random things happen. You're not in the real world, whereas... What Marvel tries to do is ground all of it. Hmm. Okay. I feel like after Guardians, they definitely are going with more crazy midnight movie vibes. I don't see that it would be a disservice 
to Marvel. In fact, what I like about Marvel is that each time they try to make a different movie, even though they're going to sculpt it to look exactly the same, they're going to use different materials. It's going to have a different tactile quality to it. And so, yeah, why not have an Edgar Wright Marvel movie? They're going to make one eventually. I mean, eventually they're going to run out of materials. (laughs) Do we know how much of his script made it? Because, again, he had writing credit. He had executive producer credit. His name was all over those ending credits. All right. Well, here's what Paul Rudd said is they liked Edgar's script and his idea. The story you see, the entire plot of Hank Pym as an old man, Scott Lang as the young Ant-Man coming in to take the mantle, all of this, the blueprint was Edgar Wright's. When he left, Paul Rudd got with Adam McKay, who he'd worked with on films like Anchorman 2 and... And Anchorman, I mean... Yeah, I'm just saying this guy isn't exactly... He's an SNL writer who's done pure comedies, and Paul Rudd is an actor who he's done a lot of stuff, but is probably best known for comedies. I mean, he had a second renaissance of his career after 40-Year-Old Virgin, thanks to Apatow. But they just took it in and changed some characters, added characters, reworked scenes, and redid all the dialogue. But it's Edgar's story, and that's, I think, because he did so much work. I mean, he worked on this film for 11 years. Yeah, he's given executive producer credit, and he and his writing partner are given the first writing credit, and these guys give their second writing credit. Yeah, I felt like there were definitely Edgar Wright jokes here. I can see fingerprints. Maybe it would have been a more interesting movie, but it's not like they didn't listen to him. It just, it's, yeah, ultimately they handled it to people that wanted to make something a little more formula. And so does that make it less interesting to me? Only slightly. I'll go ahead and say it. I've said it on many podcasts building up to this. I don't care about this one. Uh, Even if Edgar Wright got to do it, I don't think I would be very excited going to this movie. I didn't think anybody was. But my theater, I went to an IMAX opening night, big screen for the little movie, and it was completely packed. Everyone was there. No one was cosplaying, but... (laughs) All of the Marvel addicts were there. Maybe you just couldn't see the cosplayers. They're so tiny. No, I saw everyone there, and they're (laughs) just... They weren't as enthused, but they were present. I'll say, I went to this a Friday evening, which should get the biggest crowds more than going, like, Thursday, where that's more of the hardcore people, but the theater was only about half full. I went to this opening night, Thursday night, and if you follow us on Facebook, you saw my post. I was at a theater that sits between 300 and 350 people. I counted. There were 38 people in the theater. That was it. Every Marvel movie, including Iron Man, has had a packed theater, and it's been hard to get into, and there's been hoopla. This is the first one I didn't face that. And honestly, you know, I work on Marvelicious toys. I'm pretty much the Marvel movie and collectible guy. I wasn't feeling it, and I think it's the advertising. I walked into this movie going... If this movie's good, whoever cut the trailers and TV spots should be fired on the spot because the stuff they were showing didn't excite me. I get really excited for a movie when I see a trailer. I can read it all, but until I see the frames, it's hard for me to get built up. Had Edgar Wright made this movie, I bet it would have had a visual style like Scott Pilgrim and like The World's End that would get me really going. But the way it was, it felt so generic that even I who has got probably $800 of Ant-Man collectibles in this house, was like, 
eh, I'll go see it. Yeah, I feel the same as you, Arnie. Like, if this was Edgar Wright, I would have been excited. It could have been Ant-Man. It could have been whatever D-list superhero. I would have been excited because I know Edgar Wright's going to bring something to that and have a visual flair and a great sense of humor with him out. And yeah, these trailers and this character. But sometimes, you know, the lowered expectations can help a film. Yes. When you think the movie is going to be absolute garbage and it turns out not to be, well, it could be pleasantly surprised. Who would expect anything from a movie called Ant-Man directed by the guy whose most famous credit is Yes Man. Yes, Marvel <laughs> replaced Edgar Wright with a literal Yes Man. The guy that did that Jim Carrey movie that everyone's forgotten about four or five years ago, Peyton Reed. Never bothered seeing it. <laughs> it was no liar, liar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm sure it isn't, and I hope to never find out. But yeah, I, I agree. It made me want to see this even less. I don't know that Edgar Wright doing it would make me want to see it, though. I honestly feel like you're talking about uh, less enthusiasm and half-empty theaters. Well, why don't you go on the matinee? Because I'm thinking that might be a little more packed. I'm thinking this might be Marvel, again, now that Disney is at the helm, wanting to create more kid-friendly projects. This certainly is the most child-friendly Marvel movie we've gotten yet. Well, like I said, I definitely got Honey, I Shrunk the Kids vibe off of this, and that was Disney, right? Yes, it was. But Peyton Reed went back. He decided he had to make the definitive shrinking person movie for 2015, and so he watched Incredible Shrinking Man, Fantastic Voyage, Inner Space, one of my personal favorites, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and then to bring the heist feel, he went and watched Ocean's Eleven, Thomas Crown, and some others. But it turns out, I had to look it up, strangely, without ever knowing the man's name, I have seen every Peyton Reed film. Okay. Let's see if I've seen any of them. I'm betting not. Bring It On, which I did not want to watch. Nope. Okay, I have seen that. But it actually was kind of smart and funny. I've heard good stuff. I have not seen it. Yeah, that first one, they've done about six sequels, but that first one's good. Never watched any of the sequels, but the first one I liked. Down With Love, I say I watched it, I couldn't finish it. This was the one, if you don't remember, of Renee Zellweger and Ewan McGregor having a romantic musical throwback to, like, the 50s. Yeah, it was a Doris Day movie with her. I didn't see it. I couldn't finish it. It was just too laughable. The Breakup, I believe we reviewed this a long time ago on Now Playing. It might have been one of the lost episodes on the DVD, but Vince Vaughn, Jennifer Aniston. Didn't see it. Nope. It's not good. Not good at all. Yes Man which is probably Reed's second best film next to Bring It On, but it is ultimately forgettable, and the best thing about it is Terrence Stamp. No, man, haven't seen it. And now we're to Ant-Man. So somehow this guy keeps making films that I see at least some of all of them. And I did not go into this movie with low expectations. I did not go into this movie going, Wright is out, Reed is in, and I'm going to hate this movie because they got rid of my favorite director. I'm giving this movie a chance, but by bringing in Peyton Reed, the word that comes to mind is serviceable director. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to go in hating this film, but I don't have the enthusiasm I would if Wright was doing it, and yeah, I'm skeptical. I was skeptical of Guardians, and that was the biggest summer blockbuster of the year, so who knows? I, I didn't think Jurassic Park was going to do that great, biggest film ever, so I'm just bad at gauging movies, perhaps, but I'm going into this, uh, well, let's see if I can at least not be totally bored. Okay, Arnie, shrink down the plot to something we can talk about real quick. We'll get into the movie. In the 1980s, Hank Pym, played by Michael Douglas, was a scientist for S.H.I.E.L.D. With the creation of his Pym Particle, yeah, you just can't get away from some of this 1960s stuff. 
(laughs) (laughs) But thanks to the Pym particle, he discovered the ability to reduce the distance between molecules, allowing someone wearing his Ant-Man suit to become incredibly small, but super strong and fast. And with this suit, Pym had gone from scientist to field agent for S.H.I.E.L.D. During one mission, Hank was accompanied by his wife Janet, who had her own suit, and they were trying to stop a nuclear missile shot at the U.S. during the Cold War. To stop the missile, Janet had to go subatomic, so she fried out its electricity, but never returned from the subatomic quantum realm in which she was stuck. Pym quit S.H.I.E.L.D. and took his Pym particle with him, and spent years trying to research a way to bring his wife back, but all he accomplished was alienating his own daughter Hope, played by Evangeline Lilly. He also recruits and hires Dr. Darren Cross, Pym's protege, played by Corey Stoll. Cross becomes almost a surrogate son to the older doctor, but when Cross becomes obsessed with discovering the secret of the Pym particles and Hank resists, the two become estranged. Cross, aided by Hope, even ousts Pym from his own company. In modern day, Cross comes close to discovering the secret of miniaturization, so Hope secretly reunites with her father to stop Cross's invention. A weaponized mini-suit called the Yellow Jacket. Hope wants to wear the Ant-Man suit to stop Cross, but Pym refuses as he already lost his wife to one of those suits. Instead, the rich scientist suggests an alternative. Paul Rudd's character Scott Lang, a Robin Hood-esque burglar recently released from jail. Pym creates a trap for Scott to rob his house and steal the Ant-Man suit. Soon, Scott is recruited to Pym's team learning to fight and to use the suit to its maximum ability, including his power to control all types of ants to aid his quest. When ready, Scott goes to Pym Technologies to destroy its servers and steal the Yellow Jacket suit, but Cross is ready for him and dons the Yellow Jacket suit to stop Scott. The fight goes to the house where Scott's daughter Cassie lives with Scott's ex-wife, and Yellow Jacket holds Cassie hostage to kill Scott and take his suit. A major battle ensues, or maybe a tiny battle ensues, and Scott has to go subatomic to penetrate the Yellow Jacket suit and dispose of Cross. But in the quantum realm, Scott hears his daughter's voice and is able to rig the suit to return him to full size, and he appears to have a future as an Avenger as credits roll. So, Paul Rudd's the star of the movie, but as the plot summary shows, I don't think this is Scott's movie. I think this is Hank's movie. And Michael Douglas! I'm happy to see this. I, You know, Marvel does this, right? They pull out real, classical, never-read-a-comic-book actors and humiliate them by putting on these suits <laughs> and do things they never wanted to do as young men. But now that they're old, Anthony Hopkins, you know he never read a Thor comic, you know. (laughs) Tommy Lee Jones, I can't believe they got him. I think they told him it was a World War II movie, and then he found out (laughs) it was a Captain America movie, and he walked off. Because he's not in it much. They got Robert Redford for Winter Soldier, yeah. It's cool that they do that. I really do like it. It's part of the formula I enjoy. It's like, who are they going to get this time? It's great to see Michael. You know, honestly, no one thought after the cancer scare he would work again. But behind the candelabra, this movie, he's had a third act and i enjoy seeing him whenever we can yeah i've seen him in a lot of stuff you know during the 70s 80s 90s and yeah behind the candelabra and things he is a good actor who i think can play a lot of roles i love him as gordon gecko yeah and i like him here it's not like hopkins who literally takes a nap (laughs) in thor like he just felt like he didn't want to be there but yeah michael douglas here like when he's throwing punches and knocking people out like i'm like damn i don't want to mess with this old man he's tough it's this pre-credit scene that really 
I mean, the de-aging of him back to his Wall Street self is stunning. It's creepy, though. It does not look entirely real. It looks like somebody's wearing the world's best Michael Douglas mask. It looks a lot better than when they, I think, first did it in X3, The Last Stand. Yeah, I thought it looked good there. And this is the technology. It's, what, 10 years later. It's incredible. Well, the difference is in X3, they basically gave them digital faceless here. They used the skinny Steve effect. That is not his body. Okay. And then they had him face act, but then used reference photos. That's a CGI face on pasted on a human body. Wow. All I know is like, it was at this moment watching this movie, I was taken, suddenly I forgot I was watching Ant-Man anything. I started thinking about the future of movies. I'm like, I bet you people stop getting plastic surgery and just start putting this in their claws. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to get the nose job, the boob job. You do it. You know, like we can suddenly have Julia Roberts as 20 year old pretty woman. She can make that sequel and gear can be in it. And she can still be pretty. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's my point, is that all of a sudden, the possibilities of how we can experience our stars feel limitless. They will have a Gordon Gecko-like oil painting of him, and he looks exactly like it here. I mean, it is, you're right, it's a little bit rendery. I mean, you can tell there's a little bit of computer going on, but honest to God, it's really an amazing effect. And it's only, what, two, three minutes long? I'm, I'm sure it was very expensive two minutes of footage, but it was great. It looks a hell of a lot better than Haley Atwell's old age makeup, I'll tell you that. Was that Peggy Carter? I couldn't tell if that was Peggy Carter or the woman that beat up Robert Redford in The Last Captain America. <laughs> Are you telling me you don't watch Agent Carter on ABC every week? <laughs> I did see an episode of that show. It wasn't bad. It was better than Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And we get John Slattery back, who is the first Howard Stark, the older Howard Stark from Iron Man 2. Have we not been given a death date for Howard Stark? Because here it's 1989. They got to move all this stuff forward because they want the characters to be in age for today. I just thought he would have died by now. I thought perhaps... Tony was a lot younger when his father died, but maybe we haven't been given those details. Yeah, I assumed that. That was just my assumption is that Tony lost his father in childhood. But if it's 1989 and we're dealing with Robert Downey Jr., then he had to at least been going to college. He was in his less than zero phase. Howard Stark <laughs> was killed in 1991. Okay. We see the newspaper article back in Iron Man, and it had a date. Okay, so I got a freeze frame. Okay. I was impressed also the building is happening. I don't remember what they call it, but like the S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters that we saw blow up in Captain America is under construction here. So that was kind of neat. We're starting to see a timeline as it fits into the timeline I know. Like, okay, well, this is the the 90s was when S.H.I.E.L.D. started being a visible force. Now, Artie, you say the original script that Edgar Wright was working on, he wanted to do this legacy thing with Scott Lang taking over the role, which is true to the comics. I was wondering if Marvel wanted to distance themselves from the Hank Pym character, because in the comics, well, he's beat his wife before and he's kind of got this checkered past because of that this old issue I, I was wondering if they wanted to remove themselves from that character because at least in the comic world he's kind of controversial yeah tony stark was an alcoholic and this guy was a wife beater oh my wow there's a guy in there named Mitchell who says something about how Hank didn't protect Janet. I assumed that he did something bad, but the way they have it spun here, he's completely innocent of anything that befalls her. She's just a martyr that sacrifices herself. I'm not saying it would be interesting to bring it back to that origin, but it would have been nice for him to have actually done something that 
made him feel guilty about this, because this is why he's quitting S.H.I.E.L.D. here. I can never actually totally figure it out. There's two elements. One, he's quitting S.H.I.E.L.D. because he was doing mission work for them, and we'll find out that his wife was doing it as well, and she sacrificed herself, died in the line of duty to save us all, I want to say, prevented a, a nuclear strike on America. Our biggest fear in the 80s would have come true if it wasn't for her, Stuart. Yeah, you can't feel too bad. You can feel bad for the loss, but not too bad that she was allowed to do it. And the other thing is that he's invented some kind of miraculous particle that he thinks will fall... Into the wrong hands? I don't get it. Yes. I mean, it's going back to Iron Man 2, where Tony wants to hold on to his tech, doesn't want to give it to the government because he trusts himself more with it. And Hank Pym feels the same way. It's like, no, this stuff is too dangerous. I don't want it to get out. I want to maintain control. I was thinking about Iron Man a lot with this movie. Again, yeah. Ant-Man <laughs> came first in the comics, but Iron Man came first in the movie. And basically what you have is super smart scientist invents suit that does stuff and then doesn't want other people to have it. The closest it really comes to referencing that is when Cross is showing off his yellow jacket tech, and one of the guys just goes, so it's a suit. They don't say, like Iron Man. They do do a lot of Avenger name drops in this, but not that time. But it seems very similar to me. The difference is Iron Man's really cool, and Ant-Man's really small. Here's the disconnect is that he was working for Tony. Obviously, he trusted Tony to be able to be going to S.H.I.E.L.D. S.H.I.E.L.D. is Tony, yes? Stark? No, S.H.I.E.L.D. is an agency that had people, I'm sure, above him. But, in fact, I know from the Agent Carter TV series there were people above him. So he was not the head of it, but he is high up, apparently higher up than Pym. And what I take from this movie, although it's not necessarily said in this early scene, is that... Pym doesn't trust him. He doesn't trust anyone. I read the prequel comic to this movie. Had, had Hydra infiltrated yet? Does that come into the comic? No, but it does have Hank Pym's first mission in the Ant-Man suit, where Howard Stark is saying, give me the suit to send in a soldier. And Pym's like, I'm not giving you the suit for anyone. If somebody has to go in in this suit, it will only be me. It's a little bit antagonistic. And yes, Hank went in to stop some German Hydra agents in the 80s. Interesting. All right. Well, I guess as the non-comic book fan, as someone that only thinks about these movies every six months when he has to go back <laughs> to watch a new one, I just kind of assume that S.H.I.E.L.D. is an extension of Tony's work. And so if he was working for Tony and if he was working for S.H.I.E.L.D., it's safer to keep your technology in that organization. He must know that there's moles here because there is this guy named Mitchell. And Mitchell isn't very important in the scene other than he says something smart about the dead wife and gets punched for it. I'm sorry, you put Howard Stark, Agent Carter, and a third person in a room? Obviously, that person is evil. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. It's just the way the guy plays it. His looks, his steely stare. Every time we see him, there's no lightness to him. We know he's going to do something bad here. But the, the point is, I guess... Pym knew even then there were people like Mitchell that would take his secrets, take it out into the world. I guess the other thing I'm, I'm struggling with is, okay, you invent the atom bomb, you fear whose hands it's going to fall into. You invent a Ant-Man suit, how is that going to have global consequences? How will that affect everyone? We'll see later with Cross, whether you buy it or not, they try to sell that, yeah, this is a super dangerous technology because you're going to have ant-sized soldiers that you can't see, and they'll just come and infiltrate and sabotage and... 
I mean, Cross does his whole presentation about it. I don't know if I buy it, but they try their damnedest. Oh, this to is hysterical. It. Another one of the funniest moments of the film is when Cross is giving his presentation. And in addition to getting a Tales to Astonish reference in there, this announcer voice comes on and is like, Our weapons are undermined by constant surveillance. Practical applications of the Yellow Jacket include surveillance, industrial sabotage, and elimination of obstructions on the road to peace. It felt like a RoboCop ad for OCP. It really did. Yeah. It was exactly that. And of course, that road to peace thing they're talking about is somebody slipping into the limousine of some dictator or maybe just a diplomat and getting assassinated. I mean, we read between the lines here what they're really saying here is, yeah, we can go kill whoever we want if we have this suit. And, and that's part of the selling of it. That's the real key here. I do like in that presentation, they make a good point because I'm like, still, I'm like, there's lots of ways to kill people. Like, why is this better than a drone? But in a world where everyone is a camera, in a world where your cell phone and there's, you know, you, they say you walk outside and you're photographed 187 times, to be small is an asset because no one can see you. And so that made sense to me. That was the moment where I was like, ah, this is not stupid technology. There would be a reason to go small. I think there's a reason to go invisible. Small has its own set of problems. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Maybe they just need to be invisible. But I I like that selling point. And I did like the idea that it was the protege who decided to continue the work. We learn all about it really only through dialogue, which is unfortunate. But, you know, we jump from 89 and then 20 minutes later, it's present day and Pim's an old man with a hearing aid coming back to the company he built when he stepped away from S.H.I.E.L.D., only now it's owned by, yes, this guy named Darren Cross who had him fired or something. They voted him off the board. They used those tactics. And Pim's daughter was the deciding vote to kick him off. Okay, that was what I couldn't ever really figure out here is that, yes, he's estranged from his daughter. We get that the daughter doesn't like him in about 50 scenes, but... <laughs> At the same time, later in the movie, she's going to come and hang out at his house for large swatches of time. Well, yeah, they're working together to defeat Cross throughout the film. She still doesn't like him. She just understands the danger of the suit. But at the same time, she appears to be on a date with him. Like, what is she doing? She's undercover. She's literally keeping up appearances. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know if they're sleeping together, but yeah, she's keeping up appearances. And so she could know what the security is, know what the timetable is, so they could perform some espionage and destroy the suit, destroy, I guess, every piece of data about the suit. They don't use cloud technology in this movie, and they just got to blow up some servers. Yeah, my feeling about this entire movie is there are large scenes cut. I saw an early scene from this movie at New York Comic Con like a year and a half ago. It was the first footage from the real movie they showed. It's not in the movie much. There were great scenes about Michael Douglas telling Scott he had little balls and things like that. I mean, they, too risque for the final cut. And if you watch the trailers, there's a lot of things that aren't in this movie. Yeah. I think there probably was more that would have explained Hope's relationship with him. My pure guess is like they were dating earlier and possibly together when she voted her father off the board. But again, the danger of the suit and... He's apparently going more and more insane. Well, there is the cut scene. Like, there's going to drop a line. Oh, these are the particles ruining your brain. 
We never see him messing with any particles. Like, yeah, there is a cut scene there where we see him going crazy. Okay, so it's not just me. This is really nebulous here. It is really, yes, at one point she actively worked against her father to have him removed from his own company and was possibly dating the bad guy. But then at a point that we do not see, she realized he was a bad guy being driven crazy by the invention that he dug up. And so she went back to her father and is now doing work for him, to which I say, if that is your inside mole, use her. You don't need to shrink down and have someone break into something if you have someone that has all the access be able to walk in the room and just physically take it. Well, I think, though, they want to steal all this and destroy everything without cross knowing that it's hope or knowing that it's hank because then he's gonna go he's got this shrink ray that just turns you into gloop because it doesn't work on organic material i think they want to be able to do this without cross coming after him and they also want to keep the mole there so if he ever gets this point again they can stop him again okay so they never were planning on blowing up the place. It was just about having him lose this bit of information and having her keep her job. That's okay. Well, all right. But they do end up blowing up the place. So maybe that was the plan. <laughs> what it really comes down to is Hank doesn't want to risk his daughter's life because he lost Janet to a, a mission. So dad doesn't want to lose his daughter. Oh, God, I get that. Believe me, if there's one thing that this movie wants <laughs> to sell us on that it's about, and I really wish it didn't push it, it was that fathers love their daughters, and they'll do anything for them, and we're going to make it a story. An Ant-Man movie is all of a sudden about pleasing your estranged daughter. Yeah, we're going to get that story with Scott, who we find out he's, you know, it opens up, he's in this punching match in jail, punching is going to become a big theme. I wish this thing paid off, and he went back to the jail cell and punch this guy out but it was his friend this was just the goodbye ritual this scene was the imax footage they showed when i went to see jurassic world they showed us this scene it felt so guardians to me because he's in prison he's in a fight and then he's going out from prison and meeting his friend luis and i'm like wow they're really just trying to show us the guardians thing a getting out of jail funny scene that's what they try to sell this movie on is that scene yeah Okay. It ended with the Welcome to Baskin Robbins. Yeah, I can see the wisdom of showing off Louise, because if there's a character designed to get the laughs, it's his old cellmate. He got out a year before. He's there to pick him up, and he has all of the jokes. Paul Rudd may be the comedian, but Louise got all the jokes. And so he is constantly there to pep up a scene, bring in a laugh keep us smiling through a plot that is, yeah, a little bit ridiculous. It works. I don't know Michael Pena. I've seen Tower Heist, and I guess I remember him from it, and I've, I've seen him in stuff, but I don't know him. Crash. He had a huge part in Crash. He had the daughter cloak, magic cloak. He's done a lot. World Trade Center. I've, I've seen him a, a lot. Yeah, I've seen him. I don't remember him, though. Yeah. And here, anytime he's on screen, anytime, even when his jokes are bad, and they sometimes really are... I'm having fun. This guy, to me, is the star of the movie. What feels most Edgar Wright that carried over to this film is whenever he tells a story about it, like, hey, I got this job, this heist job, and he's telling it, but they'll cut to all the different characters who got the information, and their lips are in sync with the words he's saying. And that adds to the humor. That I like that little technique. I think that came from Edgar Wright, because that seems like something he'd do. But yeah, Louise is... 
is the most entertaining. I mean, Rudd is going to try to tell some jokes. He's going to have some one-liners. I don't think anyone laughed at any of them in my crowd. They cut most of them. If you watch the trailers, there's a lot of him basically making fun of the Ant-Man concept. Mm. Like, there were lines in the trailer of Hank Pym saying, Scott, I need you to be the Ant-Man. Scott asking if they could change the name of the suit. Is it too late to not be Ant-Man? And when he meets Falcon later on, and we'll get to that, there's a scene in the trailer of Falcon saying, what are you called? And he goes, Ant-Man. And Falcon's like, Ant-Man? And Rudd said, well, Iron Man was taken. These are all Paul Rudd jokes, none of which made Final Cut. I think the reason why they didn't make Final Cut is because they didn't want us to laugh at the concept inside the movie. But approaching an audience to pay $20 to go see a movie about a guy who can shrink down to the size of an ant, you got to have your tongue in cheek. But that's not actually the tone of this movie. That's not, we're, we're never really to laugh at the suit or the powers. And I think that's why Wright was removed, is I think this movie would have been very tongue-in-cheek with Wright, and that's not the tone Marvel wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they want jokes. They want people to laugh. Scott Lang gets a job at Baskin-Robbins, and for some reason, a customer is trying to order, like, pretzels, and, like, have you never been to Baskin-Robbins? This seemed to, like, be straining for laughs for me. It's like, hey... People loved Guardians because it was so funny. Like, let's get this in here and have this guy that doesn't know what he's trying to order. And then we'll have the funny looking boss tell how much he loves Scott, but that he's got to fire him anyway. Like, this stuff just seems strained to me. I honestly thought it was all there for a Baskin Robbins paid product placement. I'm, I still think it is. It is. It absolutely is. Can I get Ant-Man ice cream at Baskin Robbins right now? I was disappointed you couldn't because they did for Amazing Spider-Man 2, the Electro Smoothie or something. Captain America had top ions in which they had a shake that was Captain and Hydra. You could get a chocolate Nazi drink. (laughs) Yeah, I was really disappointed there's no, like, Ant Sunday where they put chocolate sprinkles on. I guess they didn't feel like this movie had the potential to be that successful. Maybe you don't want to promote your food store as having bugs in it. (laughs) There's a problem. (laughs) Good point. Yeah, exactly. You want some more bugs? No, I don't. But I found this to be a little bit funny. It's nowhere near as funny as what we just came from, where Luis is talking about his dad got deported, his mom died, his girlfriend left him. I mean, that's really funny. This Baskin-Robbins stuff, it's sitcom level, and I don't mean good sitcom. I mean, like, CBS Monday Night Two and a Half Men funny. Huge sitcom, so it plays to many people, not us. Yeah. Yeah, it's not playing to us. This is not pitched at me. I think it's all working. I I don't even think Louise is that funny. But then again, I'm the guy that didn't think Guardians was that funny. So I get that this is capital H humor. And I think it's successful, but I'm not really expecting to like it because it's quote unquote funny. One line really did work for me. And I've been quoting it for like three days. Baskin Robbins always finds out. That was funny. Yeah, they really pushed that line. They say it two or three times in the film. And I laughed every time. I want to know about the story. I want to know what's going to bring Scott together with Pym and get back to Michael Douglas. The point is that Pym is impressed with Scott because he's a corporate terrorist? Yeah, he's Robin Hood, though. It's like they try to build him up as this big thief, but we find out this bank what, screwed people out of their money, so he went and hacked in and returned all the money. There's a prequel comic about this. (laughs) I read that one, too. (laughs) 
he was working for a company as a he has a degree in electrical engineering, but he was also a coder. I guess you know how comic books are. If you have a doctor before your name, you can do everything. Do whatever. Yes. And he found a bug in their code and he fixed it. He thought it was a bug because it was stealing millions of dollars. You know, it, the Superman three scam. And when he fixed it, the corporate bosses told him put it back because they were taking that money. So he went and was a corporate whistleblower, got fired for whistleblowing, so went back in and did a Robin Hood type theft where he gave all the money back electronically and broke into the guy's house and got arrested and put in San Quentin for five years. That's what's confusing, is that I thought they were telling me that he was a hacker. I mean, to reallocate the money to the victims that were ripped off... I mean, the courts could do that. I mean, but I assumed he went in with a computer and just sent it to their to their bank accounts. He's got electrical engineering. I figure they're telling us he's techie, but he's not a techie. He is actually a cat burglar that does parkour and jumps through windows <laughs> and things. He is a techie, but yeah, he does the electrical engineering thing. We'll see him working on the suit and trying to make modifications. He's making some device to break into Hank Pimp's place, but there's another hacker. They bring in a Russian guy to be the hacker in the film. Correct. I think it would have been helpful in somehow in these early scenes to go back and see that. Rather than it be a prequel comic, I actually think it would have been helpful to see him at least, you know, put the Bentley in the pool. You know, we're told it's this elaborate heist. I'm trying to imagine him, like, holding sacks of money or something, pulling it out of this <laughs> bank. Like, how did that work? How did that even look right? Why wouldn't he do that electronically? How could he, as a cat burglar do that yeah the comic has him using his cat burglar skills to break in and then his hacking skills to, or programming skills really because he had an authorization to redistribute the money okay so he broke in to use a computer mm -hmm. all right well that makes a little more sense but you can see my confusion right i mean it's they're trying to tell us that he's both and that we also need yes this russian computer guy a car thief and louise are all going to yeah do a job that they have got this idea that the only way that Scott's going to be able to make money is if he goes back to robbing people. Yeah, because he has a daughter and we're going to see he's going to go to this birthday party. I don't know where he found that ugly rabbit toy to give her for her birthday, but he wants to make good with his daughter. He found it at Edgar Wright's script. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. The ex-wife and the new husband or new fiance, they're not going to let him see the daughter until he pays child support. Look, I know how child support works in California, not personal experience, but that wife probably owes him child support because she's probably the one working. He doesn't even have a job. So this seems all a little, you know, 1960s divorce style to me. But yeah, that's the basic plot is he wants to get a job so he could pay child support and get some kind of custody with his daughter. Yeah, they're saying that basically he has to be a burglar for a good reason. It's not enough that Baskin Robbins won't hire him and he needs to live. Uh, the big theme is I'm doing it all for my daughter. So he's going to rob houses for the payment that will allow him to see his daughter because we're led to believe they're telling us that he cannot even see this child unless he pays like uh, some $3,000 or I, I can't remember what the amount is, but it's going to take him over a year to have that money. Yeah, because she gives three completely silly requirements. The first is to get an apartment. He's living with a guy. I mean, he has a place to stay. Why does he have to have his own place? 
The second is get a job. Well, okay. And then the third is, and this seemed really petty, pay child support. Now, this is Judy Greer as Maggie. Judy Greer in her second thankless role this summer as the bitchy mom. (laughs) And divorcee at that. And it's like, you have a house. You have a new fiancé who's a cop. You don't need this money. Why are you holding your ex-husband by the balls for child support? Yeah, it makes her look very bad, but I know why they're doing it. They cannot have a character that is robbing houses without noble intentions. He went to jail for noble intentions, and now he's going back to crime for noble intentions. But that's phony to me. It hurts this movie. I will say, though, like I said, Robert Kirkman... He tried to do a run of Ant-Man, the guy who created The Walking Dead. He did a ton of stuff for Marvel, very popular. He tried to do the irredeemable Ant-Man, where, you know, Ant-Man would go and use his small size to go peep on women taking showers and try to make him kind of this awful character, but that was also a superhero. It didn't work. It failed. So maybe it's the right instinct. I don't know. Maybe if you got the right writer, you could make that work. There's a balance. I don't want the guy to be a peeping Tom, but yeah, I feel (laughs) like let's have a character that enjoys his craft. That it's just for him, it's about the thrill of breaking into a house. He doesn't even care what he steals, he just likes to know that he does it. I could be cool with that. I didn't need to have him be a hardened criminal, but I just feel like this, I'm doing it for my daughter, is really strange. Really, really strange. That said, I did read Scott Lang's first appearance in Marvel Universe. Scott Lang came into this in 79, so Ant-Man had been around 18 years. This is directly from that comic. In that one, Scott Lang is breaking into a place because his daughter Cassie has a fatal heart disease. Oh God, it's even worse. And he needs money to get her a new heart. And when he's breaking (laughs) into the place, he comes across the Ant-Man suit that helps him burgle even more. So I did claim the Disneyfication, but yet it is the 1979 source material. It's just not adult. I don't think this movie's adult, and we could talk more about that. But my problem, Stuart, is that it's just cliche. He's the Robin mm. Hood. And yeah, he could steal from the rich and give to himself. He does need the money. I think they go with him ripping off this bank because, well, we hate bankers now. We hate big financial companies. So they're playing it safe. The 1%. Yeah, the whole 1% thing. You could have done something where he's ripping the rich off to help support himself. And I think audiences would have still gone with that. Yeah, it's again, but the theme is and the audience is children. So they've got to make it all about him doing it for children. And don't get me wrong. If they had written it right, I'd be fine with that. It's just that it feels emotionally false. That someone is going to go, okay, if I can't get a job at Baskin Robbins, I'm going to rip off this house and give it to my daughter. But this is the setup of the story, and I'm liking Paul Rudd. Not as much as I liked him in Forgetting Sarah Marshall or 40-Year-Old Virgin, but a lot more than I liked him in Halloween 6. Halloween 6 is still my go-to for Paul Rudd. I haven't seen many of his films. Mine is Clueless. That's how long it's been since I've really remembered Paul Rudd. Clueless is the go-to for Paul Rudd, though. That's where most people first saw him. I actually saw him on Broadway. I saw him do Neil LeBute, and it was really a stark, dramatic turn. So I don't think of him as a comedian, which is weird because that's how everyone thinks of him. But I think of him as Neil LeBute and Halloween 6. <laughs> I think he'd be happy about half of that. (laughs) But he's doing okay here. He's not as funny as I had expected based upon the trailers. He's leaving the jokes to somebody else, kind of selfless of him as a writer, assuming he didn't write himself all the good jokes that got cut. 
but he's doing fine for me as this father role. And yeah, it's all about fathers and daughters, or it kind of gets about fathers and surrogate sons, parent-child relationships in general. But because Paul Rudd is playing it, and I feel like he has a big heart, I'm going with him And I'm enjoying watching him on screen, which is damn good because it's 45 minutes before we get anything shrunk. There's a lot of setup. You know who's laughing over Paul Rudd? Chris Pratt. Because this could have been him. (laughs) Easily. He was like, wow, I got got so lucky. They're interchangeable. One could have been the other here. but Yeah, especially now that Pratt's lost all that weight. People are joking about him looking like Rudd. Yeah, Paul Rudd could have been Star-Lord. They're going for the exact same thing. I feel like they're going for the same vibe, just pitched to a younger audience as Guardians. Even younger than Guardians, I think. Guardians has some racy jokes. This has some racy jokes but not as it does feel like they threw in some shits just to kind of age it up a bit this does feel like it could have been a pg film almost i thought it was this is 13 yeah Uh, why because everybody wants to be pg 13 because it feels more edgy than pg but still allows people in unlike r i agree they actually probably aged it up they could have gone for pg but they were afraid of how that would look to the marvel fans that enjoyed winter soldier But it would be more honest. You know, I I feel like that's where it's pitched. You know what I'm thinking about, guys? I'm wishing my imaginary kids were here. I'm I'm thinking this is the (laughs) best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movie I've ever seen. You definitely get that. I mean, Paul Rudd, he's going to break into the house. For some reason, you know, they're told there's this vault there. He he becomes MacGyver all of a sudden. He could overcome security systems, crack these ancient steel vaults, and there's just a suit in there. Yeah, and the reason he broke in, we find out later, Hank set this all up. We got to see Luis's big story of... You know, the telephone game, this person told this person told this person, but Hank Pym takes it one step further. He paid the first person in that chain like $100,000 to start the story. Yeah, that I like. You know, that chain, you mentioned it being an Edgar Wright flourish, that he does it a lot, like Shaun of the Dead. He does it a lot. He tells a story and the camera hops along and we see like a Rube Goldberg chain of reactions. I also think it's true for crime movies. I think that having recently watched Fast and the Furious... Ocean's Eleven, we see how they will explain a complicated plot through montage. I think it told me for the first time, oh, this is not just a kid's movie. This is Marvel's heist movie. They're going for Ocean's Eleven. Yeah, I I don't mind that. I feel like there needs to be more diversity in these Marvel films. I've said it. Like, every film seems to be about a glowing rock, and the bad guy steals that, and we got to get the glowing rock back. It's just different suits going after that glowing rock. Yeah, go for a genre mashup. Go for this heist film. I just don't understand why Scott Lang, once he gets into that safe, he finds this, what he thinks is a motorcycle suit, steals it. Like, seems like a weird thing to steal. It does, but yet I went with it in the thought of, I did all this work, I'm taking something. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's like, you don't leave empty-handed. You take whatever it is. I thought he would go around the house and look for stuff to steal. Yeah, you take whatever it is, and you try to figure it out. I don't think you put it on in the bathroom, but yeah. Good thing they're the same size. Or was this suit made specifically for Scott Lang? We know Hank Pym has been watching him. He's kind of this folk hero ever since he robbed that bank and gave back to everyone. Hank knows a lot about him. He knows about the daughter. Was this suit made specifically for Scott laying is that why it fits or did he just have the same measurements as hank pym when hank was 20 years younger don't ask these questions jacob don't (laughs) 
Here, I have an answer. It's a magic suit that can shrink and grow, so it can size itself to whatever you have. There you go. One size fits all. That's what I assumed. And why he puts it on, I don't know, but I really, it's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie. It's actually a really striking moment when you realize how terrifying it would be to be that size, that uh, all of a sudden you are you in danger of falling down a drain. And yeah, I, I think it's a great moment when we finally get the shrink. Well, and it's something we haven't seen in Marvel films because, yeah, we're going to shrink. We're going to go at a smaller level. I mean, eventually we'll go subatomic, but it's nice to get a different perspective. We've seen so much flying and outer space and nether realms to, yeah, to go the smaller route instead of these films getting bigger and bigger and more bloated to shrink down. It's a new perspective for these films that I appreciate it. I like this scene a lot. In fact, there was a Facebook contest for Ant-Man right before I saw the movie and the question you had to answer and then share in order to be entered was if you could be the size of an ant for a day, would you? And I was like, no, there's way too big a chance of getting stepped on. And they go with that here. I kind of like the dangers. He goes into a vacuum with a Lego product placement. He goes into the neighboring apartment where they're having some kind of dance club thing. and No, that's San Francisco. I just want to shout out what a great <laughs> cultural detail. I can't tell you how many times I've just stumbled into a rave at San Francisco. Like, I literally went into a donut shop one time, and there were, like, kids dancing on the floor, a DJ spinning. I'm like, it's our opening day. I'm like, well, of course it is. Well, they did set that up earlier when he's going up to Louise's place for the first time. He walks by this apartment where there's all this music coming out of it, which, oh, bad neighbors. But I do love that. Yeah, he falls onto that record and he's holding onto the grooves. That was awesome looking. Yeah, but then that needle's got to hit him in the crotch. Okay, I guess that's where you go. I didn't think it hit him in the crotch. Maybe it did. I just thought it hit him. I didn't catch him grabbing his balls. We know Edgar Wright loves music. I remember a great bit with them throwing records at zombies and Shaun of the Dead. I'm willing to believe this is from the old script, you know, running from platform shoes and what have you. But it just also feels San Francisco. I just, I like this moment. It is fun. It's really one of the best scenes in the movie. Yeah, entering the vacuum, the rat, all of it. It's over much too quickly. I was actually sad when the scene was over. And there's no more like this in the rest of the movie. But it was when I'm like... Oh boy, I'm really in Honey, I Shrunk the Superhero. The scene finally comes to an end when he goes out a window and lands on top of the car of Saturday Night Live's Garrett Morris. And it it took me like 10 minutes to realize why Garrett Morris is in this movie. And it's not that he needed a paycheck. He played Ant-Man in that classic Saturday Night Live skit where Belushi was the Hulk and all of them were at a party. He was like the funniest character in that as... Ant-Man. So they're making a callback to the only other previous live-action Ant-Man ever. I think you play that up and you have some fun with that. and You kind of mock the idea. Not all superheroes are created equal and some don't get the best powers. But of course, these are powers he can choose and that's really what happens. He initially freaks out, of course, as any of us would, goes to return the suit, gets busted, hauled in. Conveniently, the new husband for his ex-wife is also the cop that's going to be busting his balls throughout the movie because there's only one cop in all of san francisco <laughs> yeah i don't know why this cop is such a jerk and doesn't want the daughter to see her father yeah you do because we're in a child's movie about parenting true yes it's a disney villain evil step parent we don't have nuanced uh, mixed families no we don't do that there's a bad dad and a good dad 
And so I think it's cute when the choice comes, you know, the ants bring this tiny little suit through the bars as he's sitting in his jail cell. And, you know, they count down 10 seconds before he's going to get busted. They enlarge the suit. He can put it on. He could not. And so that was the choice. You know, he does make the decision there, at least to save himself, to escape to be on the road to becoming the Ant-Man. What we get in Act 2 is really the choice to be the silly character. It's weird, though, that this is how he gets broken out because he gets arrested because he tries to return the suit and we find out not Hank, but Hope calls the cops on him. And it just seems like instead of doing this elaborate escape, which is cool, like, I want to see the suit, but can't Hank just, like, drop charges? And he's let go? He could, but I think he wants him to be the Ant-Man. He wants him to be a fugitive and have a reason to stick around. Yes, and I like how he comes in posing as the lawyer and the ants are blocking the camera. He gives a good speech. It's not arbitrary, and it's not saving himself that he puts that suit on. He gives a speech about the daughter again and how he says what the wife said earlier— be the man she thinks you are. Blech. He breaks out for the daughter, not for himself. Blech. Blech. <laughs> Come on, Stuart. Themes. Themes. I get it. It's in crayon. I get it. We can all read that. <laughs> it's in really badly written handwriting, a child's handwriting. I get it. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'd be opposed to this theme. It's just so clumsy. It's just so clumsy the way it's inserted here. Ham-handed. Yeah, it really is. It's the worst part about this movie, that they have to oversell parent-child relations in order for us to buy this concept. I would have preferred them not to go this route. The movie is juvenile enough not to have to pander. Yeah, speaking about how juvenile it is, how do you feel about, like, there are ants that bid Hank's commands. Like, and that was a thing early on in the comics. I think they've kind of dropped the whole controlling insects things in the more modern iterations. But like this, the ants bring the suit in, which is great. But then like, there was this whole flying scene where Scott's flying on the back of a carpenter ant, and then he falls off, wakes up in Hank's house. And there's like all these just bugs like crawling all over the ants try to bring them sugar cubes like this is not uh an environment i would want to live in i don't like bugs <laughs> i love it though i love the actual like that he can have this this relation it explains the earpiece you know to everyone else yes he just looks like a doddering old man but really that's his stealth it's, it's his way of communicating to this army and controlling them i think there is something from some version of the script that got dropped I think that Scott is supposed to teach Pym not to always think of people as being masses that can be controlled because they have this one ant that he's like, oh, he's just number 247 or maybe he's 248. I don't care who he is, but Paul Rudd does. And Paul Rudd names him Antony and has this relationship with Antony. And I think... At some point in this script, there was something for Pym to learn from this guy about not being a corporate dick. <laughs> I don't know. It doesn't feel like they ever set up Pym to be a corporate dick. Well, they do. He is the head of the corporation. He was. No, but I'm saying in some version of this draft, he may have remained that. And there's something about the way that he controls everything that I think is for him to learn not to do. And I think that's what Scott is set up to do. And this Antony side character could have been a fun little way of showing that. I think Antony does get killed in the line of duty at some point, or maybe he becomes the giant dog at the end. I, I'm not 
clear. Antony gets dropped. And people were sad about it, in my viewing. Like, there were gasps. Like, I get it. You shoot the dog. That's sad. But an ant? I was just upset that they didn't make Antony more of a presence. It was the only ant with a name, and I kind of felt that it was going to be martyred. I think that it got dropped in this rewriting. I think, again, you know, there's so much that Pym has to show Scott in the middle of the movie. Oh, so much. There's nothing that Scott has to show for Pym, and that's a mistake. That this old man that has set up all of these chains of reactions and has been spying on everyone and is really this mastermind controlling voyeur that used to run a company that literally has an army working for him, I think that he could learn to personalize and think of each ant as an individual. I think that would have been fun to have in the script. It would have certainly been a way to keep the focus off the tiresome My Daughter storyline, which is also in Pym's story here. I hate, this is another thing I just hate in this movie. I know that she is written this way, and I'm guessing that Evangeline Lilly did the job very well, but don't you just hate this chick for half this movie? No. Yeah, she is so cold and just... Horrible. Ugh. Yeah. Every scene, I do not want them to have a relationship with Scott and him. I don't want her to have a relationship with Pim. I don't want her in this movie. Her best joke is that she gets to punch him in the face. Ugh. I kind of liked her in this movie. I will say I liked the dynamic created where, yes, by all intelligent reason, she should put on the suit. She puts on the earpiece and shows she can instantly control the ants when Scott can't. She knows how the suit works. She's got the fighting skills, and she wants to do it. It creates conflict that they're going to draw out for about half the movie why her father won't let her. And this even has him screaming at her to a point I'm like, was that anger supposed to reference his wife beating days? Because yeah. it gets pretty heated. And she does come off like a bit of a bitch to vote her father out, but... She has no winning scene. She has no scene where you like her. Every scene, she is, I'm better than everyone here, and I'm angry. That's not fun to watch. Even to jump forward to the mid credit scenes where you find out she's going to get a suit, she's like, it's about time. It's like, man, you're kind of a jerk. Well, actually, that was Marvel speaking about the fact that they've never had a female superhero. Besides Black Widow. But she wasn't super, she was just a hero. Well, neither is... This one, she's got a suit that gives her all the powers. But the winning scene for me with her is how she thaws to Scott. As she thaws to Scott, I thaw to her. What was that scene? It was this training montage that was fun but seemed endless. When he finally gets a punch in. Yeah. I mean, you say the worst part of this movie for you, Stuart, is the father daughter theme the worst part for me is the pacing it's 45 minutes before scott becomes the ant-man and then we have another half hour or so of him just training and i bet if i put this movie on on blu-ray and iron man i bet it's the same thing i bet there's the starting i bet around the time scott's going to the dance club tony's breaking out of the prison in the middle east and then i bet all around the time that Tony's making the Mark II and Oh Yeah, I Can Fly is this training montage because Iron Man 1 was a lot of setup. But the difference is that felt cool and it had danger because Tony Stark was a prisoner in the Middle East of the Ten Rings. And here, it just doesn't have the 
urgency of that movie. It even has the same damn villain. I mean, instead of Obadiah Stane, we get Corey Stoll as Darren Cross and Stoll with his shaved head. Again, he's somebody I've seen, not somebody I paid attention to, but he just looked like Howie Mandel so much that anytime he shook a hand, I'm like, don't you not touch people? Don't you have germophobia? <laughs> even Obadiah was bald. Yeah, very similar to Iron Man. And yeah, the problem is the second act is a training montage. And the other problem is, I, I'm fine. I, I'm enjoying some of this. Like you said, Arnie, I like when Scott finally gets that punch in during one of the fighting scenes and Hope kind of gives this smile like it's finally getting through. The problem is Rudd is not Robert Downey Jr. And he'll have all these one-liners. They just don't work. They're, you're supposed to have this touching moment between Hope and her father where Hank finally tells a story. He's been lying, saying that his wife died in a plane crash. He finally tells her the story. And then Rudd walks in and like gives some one-liner. Oops, did I ruin the moment? Like He just doesn't have the same charm, so I'm not enjoying him trying to jump through keyholes as much as watching Tony build a suit and try to learn how to fly. I had similar problems with Star-Lord. I wanted to say they seem to think that there needs to be some kind of character that always can ruin them, that we can never have an emotional moment without someone coming in with a joke and ruining it. And, you know, that was kind of what happened in Guardians. And when they tell the story about how the mother died or went into the quantum realm. You mean tell us how the movie's going to end? Yes, exactly. I What was going through my mind was Ghostbusters. Yes, crossing the streams! If you say never cross the streams, then at the end of the movie, you're going to have to cross the streams. That was my moment when I was talking to my parents after I watched this. I'm like, oh, so they just had a crossing the streams moment where they totally communicated <laughs> the ending. My mom's like, huh? I'm like, well, th- th- this moment where she goes into the bomb and you know the guy's going to have to do that at the end. She's like, oh, it's the end of the work week. I just wanted to enjoy a movie. I didn't see that. But yeah, it's <laughs> if you know story structure, yes, it's a crossing the streams moment. I don't know if Ghostbusters was the first to do that, but that is my go-to reference. Mine too. I mean, it's Chekhov's whatever in this case it's Chekhov's (laughs) subatomic particle but it was so obvious again this film is obvious in many ways which doesn't necessarily make it unfun at times but it's just sitting there and it's never good when you feel so much smarter than the movie that you can just jump ahead to the end because that's where I was I'm like I know everything that's going to happen yeah except that he was going to fight Falcon that was the one thing and Marvel spoiled it they were insistent on spoiling it I would have loved to walk into this movie and not know an Avenger was in it. I didn't. It was a total surprise for me. You said you saw this in a trailer. I didn't. And so when I see Scott, he's going to dive in. He's got to get, I don't know, some doodad for this heist that the Avengers have. I listened to all that dialogue on the second viewing. It is literal technobabble. There's no reason to get this thing. It's a prototype of a signal decoy needed to counteract the signal crossers that Cross installed in his security system. Huh? No, it's just an excuse for Ant-Man to fight Falcon. So the B-list Avenger can fight the C-list Avenger. You decide who's who. (laughs) Yeah, I do love, though, when you're flying in and they... You know, the surveillance photos, it says Stark Industries. They fly over and it's got the Avengers symbol. I'm like, oh, this is the new Avenger hideout from Age of Ultron. I'm like, oh, they're actually tying this together. And they did drop earlier, like, why can't the Avengers do this whole heist? Well, because Pym doesn't trust Stark, so. And there's the funny line about dropping cities from the sky. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad they addressed that. That's been one of my problems post-Avengers is like, why don't they all just get together to save every film? Well, not in this movie. 
I mean, th- there's no stakes in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I'm going to credit this movie for trying. The stakes in this movie are mostly personal. It's father-daughter stuff. They intentionally went small, both with their hero and with their storytelling. While there is a slight risk of Hydra getting this yellow jacket suit, and that could be problematic and probably would involve the Avengers, here, it's a personal film. So yeah, I don't wonder why Hulk isn't coming in. But I love the fact that the Falcon comes in. Like, you think Scott's just going to walk in? And no, the Falcon's there. And I guess, I don't know, he's a Falcon, so he has goggles with I guess not eagle eyes, but falcon eyes. You can see Scott down there in the grass. <laughs> falcon has become one of my favorite new Avengers. That's what I'm going to call this B-team of Vision and Scarlet Witch and Falcon. I just loved Anthony Mackie in Winter Soldier so much. His scenes in Ultron were a gem. And so if they had to bring in a B-level Avenger, I was really glad it was him. And Again, it felt obligatory. Let's have a hero-on-hero fight to show us that Ant-Man doesn't really suck. Let's show us he has some wits and some toughness. It was telling the audience it was not a story beat, but it was kind of fun. Possibly the most fun action scene of the whole film. Ugh, okay. I thought Anthony Mackie looked really stupid. I thought, wow, poor guy that he has to have a scene where he's beat up by an ant. I mean, bad enough he has to wear that outfit and then beat up by an ant. Call your agent. I love that outfit. I think that's badass with the wings. Okay. Yeah, I do love when he does that move where he, like, jumps back and the wings come out and those guns come out. And yeah. He does that here. It seems he does that in every film. I love the line at the end. Though. What does he say? Don't tell Cap about this? Yeah, Cap can never find out. I, it's funny. And Falcon has a lightheartedness that does fit. I don't think necessarily having super earnest Steve Rogers be at the base, or God forbid, the Hulk at the base, (laughs) would have worked as well. No, obviously they needed a character as silly as Ant-Man for a face-off. That's what I mean. Poor Anthony Mackie, that he just always has to be this C-lister. But yeah, he's good enough to be what you're describing, but he can never be that as Falcon. We will never be saying today we're discussing the Falcon film starring Anthony Mackie. Absolutely not. There's just no... I, I don't think he get a TV spinoff. I'm not sure what you can do with Falcon other than have him fight an ant. (laughs) Scott is supposed to be proving that he has stealth incursion, and he tells the guy everything that he's going to do. So I think he fails the test, even if he gets the doodad. By the same token, I think he's, again, trying to be a good guy. He doesn't want to fight the Avengers. Who would want to fight the Avengers? So he's trying to be honest and say, hey, can I borrow this piece of buried tech? And of course, Falcon's like, no, but he tried to be honest with them, and he was the one earlier who said, let's call the Avengers. He's honestly, the way I read it, an Avengers fanboy. Or he's the reluctant hero, which, you know, this that's how this plays out. You gotta turn down the call at first, which he did, and he ended up in jail, and now he's going through with it. Yes, and they're, and they're ready for a final heist. He has the powers now. They have they have these four different ants that he's mastered. The One can create <laughs> electricity? Is that a real thing? Come on. Yeah, crazy ants? I went and researched entomology for this review (laughs) because I was wondering about the different types of ants. And yes, of course, they are not all as individualized as this movie makes them out to be. But this movie isn't exactly incorrect either. Carpenter ants do fly, however. (laughs) I thought it was just the queens. Well, they lose their wings when they mate. It is the scouts who can fly to find new things, but then they can't have sex. The wings get ripped off during sex. So it's a very sexually frustrated Antony. (laughs) 
The bullet ants do have the most pain on the Schmidt pain index. That is true. I didn't think they were making it up. It just seems desperate. Except the electrical stuff. Yeah, crazy ants. I want to know about the crazy ants. (laughs) Crazy ants do exist, and they are known for shorting out electric systems in the southeast U.S. Which doesn't mean that they can create electricity. Yes, they are not walking Tesla coils, the article I read said, but (laughs) what they really do is they eat wires. (laughs) But in this one, they're like electric ants yeah and fire ants by the way have a pretty good bite as well i mean maybe they're not yeah the crystal skull ants that uh, the bullet ants were told are but okay so he's got all these four different styles and he's mastered the power to communicate with them because hope says in another heavy-handed scene think of how much you want your daughter and use that desire to be how you communicate with them so that's literally it's the power of wanting to communicate with his daughter that means that these ants are now going to do what he needs and they're all gonna jump into the water main to go have a mission impossible sting well they had to bring in scott's crew though because cross has upped the security so much it was just gonna be the three of them and for like 45 minutes of this movie it's just been scott hope and hank but when they do this upping of security that's when the movie's going to get a little funny again and we bring back louis dave and kurt yeah i mean by this time cross has been able to shrink organic material he finally figured it out he's upping security he suspects something or he knows i guess we'll find out what's going on with hope he finally stops killing those poor lambs that was so cute i just thought it was so weird he's like bring in subject 34 killed it okay bring in subject 35 i'm like don't you have to tinker before you bring the next subject in (laughs) he just wanted to kill lambs I think that what they tell us is the only way he can shrink them down is if they're encased in something. We are told that by Hank, because that's how Hank was able to do it. You have to have that suit on. You have to have the helmet on. That's why Scott's going to have to get that helmet on when he's arrested. You, If you try to shrink without the suit, yeah, it messes with your brain chemicals and kills you. Okay. Did he then change the yellow jacket suit? No, he just realized you have to be wearing it, I think. Okay, yeah. I guess my point is it would be helpful to know where the aha moment happened and how it influenced what he was doing. It'd be helpful to know anything about this villain. We do see it. We see him successfully not kill a lamb, but the lamb he doesn't kill is inside a box. But we don't know why he came up with that idea. And we don't know how he took that idea and did anything with the suit that was presumably working exactly like that. It's weird. He shrunk the suit, but he never thought of putting someone inside or a little lamb inside the suit to shrink it. Yeah, that's what I'm getting at is like, I would have thought that that would have been obvious to have a human in the suit shrinking down and he wouldn't have needed to do this lamb stuff. But I guess all I'm really saying is this villain is poorly developed. His relationship with Hope is poorly developed. This weird scene where he walks in to the house that's unlocked and has this rambling speech where they think he's going to kill Pim then. And he thinks he is. But they don't do anything. They're in the next room. They all have ninja skills, but they just allow the scene to go on. They have ants covering up blueprints or something. I'm like, this is a very bizarre scene. It had to be done in rewrites. I feel like a lot about how we get to this end was throwing old ideas out and just kind of yeah going for a Mission Impossible sting, which would have made more sense if if this were still Simon Pegg. You know, Simon Pegg was supposed to have this part when Edgar Wright was going to do it. That was when I started to really think, when he has to jump down that tube like Cruise does... I really thought, yeah, that would have been funny to see the Simon Pegg version of Tom Cruise. Actually, Paul Rudd was hired while Wright was still doing the project. It may have been supposed to be Simon Pegg back in 2003, 
but not in the Marvel Studios version. They never wanted him. No. They're like, we all maybe take you, Edgar. We're never taking this guy as our hero. He's got to take his shirt off. Which he does. Hope's going to check out his abs during that second act montage. But yeah, this is a terrible villain. I think even worse than Obadiah Stane. I'm becoming very used to bad villains in these origin story movies. That is a consistency to the formulas. They spend more time on their heroes than their villains. Yeah. yeah, I've been on record that I hate Marvel villains. None of them been good except, well, Winter Soldier with the whole Hydra conspiracy. Yeah, they just go crazy, right? This is, he's crazy because of the experimentation. Same thing with Ultron, right? They're just evil inherent. There's no psychology to their madness. And I don't even see what the suit makes mad. I mean, Scott has been shrinking and growing, shrinking and growing. He's the same guy. But yet when he asks Hank, why don't you wear the suit? Hank says, I wore that suit a lot. It's taken its toll on me. Which if I was Scott would be like, wait, what's it doing to me? Uh, I I thought that was a reference to losing his wife. They say the particles are warping Cross's brain. But again, like I said, they never show that. They never set that up. It is a line, they say. And how is it warping his brain when it doesn't work and he's not shrinking? Is it just proximity? Is it like radiation? I think that there is a draft of this script where they try to say that if you're a corporate boss trying to control masses of people, it will dement you. It will prevent you from being humane to people. And that was for Scott to show Pym that he had gone mad. And then by the time we get to this, that's almost all been eradicated. But I can see it. And I think that would have been a nice theme to have that was adult as a companion to all this kid's play. What's weird to me, and because, I mean, this is almost a two-hour movie, I don't want it any longer. It does seem weird that this final heist, this seems like, oh, you pull off this heist and then you find out the twist. But no, this heist is the climax of the film, which took me by surprise. That's not usually how this goes. It's our first real action scene. Let's keep this in mind. We've had training. We had a little scuttle with Falcon, but we've never had a hero in action until this. And it's not really action as, I mean, he's not doing too much martial arts. The point is mostly stealth. He's mostly slipping in through the water faucets, having the different teams of ants. I think the fire ants build him a bridge or whatever. Louis is there for some reason. I, I do like Louis here. I I didn't get the double entendre of him whistling It's a Small World. I'm like, oh yeah, it's a Disney movie. But It's a Small World, Ant-Man. I had the same reaction, but then I remembered this was a Edgar Wright flourish. And it does fit. It's a small world. He's a small hero. I didn't mind it. And we got, yeah, Pinocchio in the last one. Is this just going to be a thing? Like, is Winter Soldier going to tap dance to a friend <laughs> like me in the next movie? I mean, Captain America throws his shield to circle of life. I'm not loving the trend. But yeah, I'm enjoying, I guess, this climax. I enjoy heist movies, so of course they come up with all the ridiculousness here. It it just seems even more ridiculous because it's an army of ants going in. Like, you got the crazy ants shorting out all the servers. It doesn't seem to set off any alarms. There's like, I don't know, again, no cloud-based storage. (laughs) This is all the data right there, but okay. And, you know, I I do love when those other ants, they flip up those bombs and then the bombs expand. We've seen that Hank has come up with these like blue and red weapons that make things shrink or grow when you throw it at them, which will play a part of the climax here. Can they use those discs on people who aren't wearing suits? These discs were very confusing to me as well. 
But for some reason, Hank is anti-gun. He's not going to give Scott a gun. In the prequel comic, he refuses to take a gun on his missions. He's going to come up with other stuff. I understand that from a comic book perspective, you don't necessarily want an ant with a gun. It just isn't as fun. But <laughs> You don't want an ant, period. What do you want an ant with? It begs larger questions, really. <laughs> but... I wish they had a more logical reason for using weapons that aren't guns and not even carrying a gun along for backup. He's anti-weapon. I mean, I think he established that by walking away from S.H.I.E.L.D. and not allowing the pin particle to be weaponized in the first place. This heist, though, is fun. I like... I don't quite understand what the wheelman and the hacker are entirely doing, but it was taking me back to the Mission Impossible stuff with Ving Rhames and the trying to do something as Tom Cruise is jumping right at the laser grid and everything. This is not Mission Impossible. This is Fast and Furious for kids. <laughs> I mean, this is Tyrese kind of stuff. I mean, T.I. is here, the musician. He's a car thief. I don't know why they need a car thief here, but conveniently, at some point, the husband, Paxton, is there. Because he's the only cop in San Francisco. Paxton is about to take away Hank and prevent him from going into the building and so T.I. just steals his car it's I guess it gives him a purpose but it reminded me of Fast and the Furious how we have all of these characters and they're so much fun so let's contrive something for them to do <laughs> they don't actually fit into our plan basically the Russian has to hit the button at the right point to take away a laser grid and that's as useful as these guys are and they're nowhere near as funny as Luis either they got all the laughs at my theater Ant-Man wasn't getting any of them Rudd wasn't getting them but yeah I'll all these side characters were getting the laughs. They're definitely the humor characters. But I don't think any of them live up to Luis. Luis in there, I'm in the system, man. You know, I think he's really funny. I do love they set up that he's the only person that's been able to punch out this one inmate during that opening scene. And that's when you're being released. That's the ritual. You got to try to punch out this guy. He is the only one who's ever punched him out. And he is punching people throughout this climax, taking him out with one hit. I'm like, I don't know if that's the most secret thing to be doing. You got all these bodies tied up laying around. I don't know if that was the plan, but he loves punching people. Yeah, let's not dwell on the mechanics of this. It's a Fast and Furious. They're here because they're entertaining and funny and we want to see them, not because they actually serve the stealing of the suit. And... Cross knows about it anyway. He's waiting for Scott to fall in there. So now he has him and can sell him to Hydra as well. Was that the plan? I thought he would just crush him. <laughs> no, he said, I can charge more now or something to that effect. We have Mitchell back and he reveals that, hey, Hydra isn't who they used to be. And we can we can have armed negotiations with them and profit. Yeah, it's weird that Hydra, after being revealed to have infiltrated like one of the big security defense organizations in the U.S. or perhaps the world, now they're just like a corporation that people don't mind having around. Yeah, that is very, very telling. I thought that was funny. I thought that was a satirical flourish I appreciated. I did notice one of the other buyers had a Ten Rings tattoo on his neck, though. They're not letting it go. Trevor will return. <laughs> <laughs> Why can't Scott just enlarge and break out of this glass case? He does. That's actually what he does. <laughs> no, no, no. He throws those discs at the glass to make the glass, like, grow and shatter. I don't understand why he can't just hit his button and grow. Maybe he's afraid he'd be squished by the glass? Yeah, we see him jumping around like a fly trapped in a jar. I, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand a lot about this climax. Mm -hmm. I do love though, like they're, all the fighting's going on. And again, I wish there was more style to this growing and shrinking with Ant-Man as he's throwing punches and flipping guys around. I do love though how Hank and Hope 
escape this building. That tank, I knew that was going to happen, though. There's this keychain with a tank. Yeah, they focus on that tank. He's not a military guy. So having a tank keychain that's just a model doesn't work. And there's a lot of detail on that tank. I'm like, I bet that's a real tank. And sure enough, it is. And they drive right out the wall. Yeah, that was fun. It's kind of hard to keep track of. I think what Marvel does, you know, we slow things down and we ask whys, but what Marvel's good at is just keeping you laughing so that you don't. I mean, we could go through point by point and talk about the absurdity of this, but the general vibe is one of fun. I mean, it's merriment. We're, we're treating this really as a comedy uh, more than anything. It's, I guess, until Hank gets shot. I mean, did you think he was actually going to get killed? Michael Douglas, he's pretty old. They don't even show the wound until he's like treating it. I'm like, where's the blood? Where did he get shot? I saw it when he was laying on the ground. But the thing is, it was his right shoulder far, far away from the heart. When he first gets shot, though, I'm like, well, that makes sense. If you're going to have a passing of the torch, you kill the mentor. I mean, we killed Dr. Eskine and Captain America and we killed Jensen and Iron Man. I thought he really might. But when I saw where the wound was, I'm like, if that kills him, it's only because he's old. Yeah, I didn't know whether Michael Douglas would want to come back. I mean, yeah, Robert Redford is done, I think. So who knows? But I was glad to see that he lives to the end of this movie. It's not going to be his fight. It's not anyone's movie at this point, but Yellow Jacket versus Ant-Man. With, of course, the daughter in between. We we all saw where this was headed. Oh, absolutely. Like I said, about an hour into this movie, I knew where it was going to end up. They made a big deal out of the train chase in the trailers. And uh, when they're in the Lego room at one point, I'm like, I wonder which kid has the train. Then I realized for sure, oh, this whole thing's going to end up back with Cassie. Again, Yellow Jacket, Cross puts on the Yellow Jacket suit. I'm not sure how. There's this fight in the helicopter. Ant-Man gets kicked out. He gets back in and all of a sudden... Yellow jacket standing there. That that suit was tiny before. I'm not sure how. Again, I guess we're not supposed to ask why, but it is a glaring jump scene for me. But yeah, at this point, Yellow Jacket's just crazy, and that's why he's going after the daughter because Ant Man, Scott Lang, ruined all his plans. I don't even understand any motivations here at the end. Why he's making it personal? Yeah, he was going to turn the building into the Cross Industries, and he got blown up, and so he's angry. He's insane. That's the whole thing. It's the suit that never worked made him insane. Ugh, you're right. It's Ultron. It's Ultron all over again. Yes, they're thin motivations. And when you ask why you're treated with he's a bad guy. Oh, okay. Well, I did think that, you know, the fight score to Plane Song by The Cure was kind of cool. I mean, they have fun playing with gadgets. It's the kind of stuff I think of when they do animated movies, you know, playing with our technology and I thought they were going to do something with lifesavers in the pool. They had the lifesavers roll there. But (laughs) basically, it all comes down to a ping pong paddle into a bug light. This could have been the end of the movie. But of course, yeah, we have to get it back to the daughter. Is she in literal danger? Is he going to kill her? Is he just wanting to bait Scott there so he can kill them both? I think he's baiting Scott there to kill Scott. And I don't think he cares about the daughter beyond she's a hostage that will get Scott to him. Yes, and we certainly do not. And I want to put me in that category as well. I don't want to see child endangerment in a movie with this kind of tone. There's just no need to go there with that. And she does run into the closet for most of this fight and doesn't seem to really be in danger once it gets going. Yeah, I'm glad about that. Let's make it about these two men and their fight. And you're right, we absolutely know, if you were paying attention to that backstory, 
and the thing that's haunted Pym all of these years is going subatomic. Of course they have to do it here. And I was waiting for it. I was looking forward to seeing what subatomic is. It's it's basically Kubrick's 2001. It was really cool. You know, DC has a similar character to Ant-Man called the Atom. And the Atom can go subatomic. And he gets so small, you like go into a molecule and there's a whole universe inside of there, which I always thought was a cool concept, which Ant-Man can't do because he's just going to be an ant. But yeah, they do that here. And it was kind of cool. Yeah, they do totally go 2001. It was really kind of weird the way it became fractals and not even trying to be real. You'd like see an animation, like a cartoon animation of an atom. But a couple of things about this that I read after the fact is, first of all, this is going to be the Marvel Cinematic Universe version of the microverse from the comics. Are you familiar with the microverse, Jacob? I'm actually not. Is that Micromen or? Micronauts. Micronauts. Okay, I know Micronauts. I know the toys. I didn't know that was a Marvel thing. Yeah, the Micronauts took place in this microverse. And something very odd here, according to Kevin Feige, this scene, the reason it's the end of phase two is because it's setting up things that we're going to see in phase three, one of which is the mind-bending, reality-altering landscape from Doctor Strange. Fist-pumping, I called this. I didn't <laughs> I didn't call Doctor Strange, but I'm like, why are we going here if all they're going to do is leave so easily? I thought we'd go here so that he could rescue the wife, or at least have some kind of communication with Hank's wife, Janet, and that doesn't happen at all. I'm like, well, then this is a dangling thread they'll pick up later. And so I know it's coming back. I knew it. I didn't know why. Next year. Okay. Well, of course. And Doctor Strange, hey, you know I'm in. (laughs) I don't understand how Scott gets out of here. Like, oh, okay. He takes one of the growing ninja stars that he has and puts it in his regulator. And I guess that's what saves the day. I was hoping for something more creative. I'm glad we got to go into this microverse. I thought it was pretty cool, but uh, the resolution, I, I don't know. I guess we're ready for the movie to be over. So why not? Yes. I had some crazy thoughts when he went into the microverse. I mean, I pretty much knew what was going to happen happened, but I had hopes something unexpected would happen. Mm-hmm. Did either of you think that because they say this is where time ceases to exist and everything, that like he'd come out and his daughter's a teenager? But Interstellar? <laughs> I did think Interstellar, yeah. Yeah, no. I wasn't thinking too much about Interstellar at this point. But they they could have done, I think your point is they could have done lots here. The fact that they didn't do much leads me to believe that they're not ready yet. That this is just set up as an intro and that, you know, much like the wormhole, uh, we'll go back eventually, but not right now. Yeah, I thought maybe he'd come out in some alternate universe, like where things were just a little off. And I don't know, maybe that would be his sequel is trying to get back to ours. Maybe it'd be fun if he had... It was a different height or something. Maybe he was always angry about being short or something, and now he's tall. Or you could have changed his physicality. There's a lot of ways they could have been creative. They chose to do the most obvious cut and paste, and we're done. We're out kind of ending. The only thing I didn't expect was the giant ant being kept as the family pet. (laughs) That seems really dangerous. (laughs) That was freaky. I love the giant ant. It reminded me a little bit, though, of the crazy beast running around at the end of Thor The Dark World. Like, this whole thing had a repercussion of the ant. Oh, that's right. I try to forget that movie. (laughs) 
I don't blame you, but when I see the ant running around, it's kind of funny. And the giant Thomas the Train was kind of amusing, too. That was totally unexpected. I, I knew about the Thomas the Train going in because that was in the trailer. But yeah, when it blows up, perhaps the biggest laugh from the audience. But then we get a final denouement. Yellow Jack is defeated. I don't know if he's dead or if he went subatomic or if he, what happened there because no one dies in Marvel. We know that he, he is in reserve. He is available when ready. He's hanging out with the Red Skull and Loki. Exactly. He is waiting in packaging to be unwrapped by when they need him. Obadiah is dead. Maybe. <laughs> True. We didn't see the corpse. But yeah, Abomination, Loki, Red Skull. They could put his brain into an Iron Man suit. Yes. There's. A, it's a universe of no consequence. There will never be any death. They killed Robert Redford dead. Probably because I can't see Robert Redford coming back. <laughs> But that's the only reason is when they when the lawyers can't do it with the actor's contract, they're dead. <laughs> yeah, I guess Artem Zola proved that pretty definitively. But we get a scene that I never expected of the denouement. Another Louise montage with the Stan Lee cameo. Sure, gotta have it. Still doing those. And obviously, I thought we were going to get Spider-Man in here. I actually was a little disappointed. It's just a reference. Through the long-winded storytelling of Louis attending an art museum, we basically find out that Falcon is scouting out people, and one of them appears to be a guy that can jump, swing, and climb walls. Mm -hmm. I caught that, too. And I'm like, I knew he wasn't going to be in this movie because they just cast him like three weeks ago. Oh, okay. He's going to show up in the next movie with Ant-Man. Civil War. Which is what I guess they're leading to with the post-credit scene. There's a mid-credit scene. I don't know how much there is to say. Hope is going to finally get to be the Wasp that she's always wanted to be. Joy. More of her. <laughs> Actually, I got she got better. I mean, I will feel like once they tried to soften her as a romantic lead, I didn't want it, but I'm I could recognize the problem was the writing and not the acting. I was I, I'm like this actress is good. She just had a thankless role of being an angry, resentful person for half of it, and then she had to be the obligatory trophy at the end. Well, it might be the actress's fault because she came in and beefed up and rewrote her character, or asked for rewrites on her character, so she became what she was. She apparently did even less. Like, she wasn't even a good fighter in Rudd's original draft. I could have told you that from Hobbit. Do you see those effects they pulled on that elf flipping? <laughs> was that the elf? Was that? What's her name? Yeah, that was Teriel or whatever her name was. Oh, wow. Okay. What a difference a wig makes. Mm -hmm. I like the bangs on her hair. I didn't even recognize her as being from Lost until halfway through. But the real ending, I mean, the one that's the grabber, the one that does not belong in this movie because it's so tonally different. No, you could feel the tonal difference. Oh yeah. my God. The scene that's better than the movie we just watched. <laughs> <laughs> Help me understand what I see because what I saw was Bucky half naked in some basement. Captain and Falcon have found him. Have they been holding him a while or did they just walk in and find him? It looks like they have captured him. His arm's like in a clamp, it looks like. Yeah, it's like he's trapped. Okay. I thought that he had an arm clamp thing. I thought that was his power. No, he has a robot arm, yeah. yeah. And it was trapped in something. Oh, okay. They say somebody is not going to let Stark help them? They mentioned the Accords. I don't know what that is. We saw Stark was leaving the Avengers, but come on, this is all Civil War, right? They got to find someone else. They can't go to Stark. And this scene will be in Civil War, according to Kevin Feige. It may not be the same angles. They may use different shots. But this scene, we're just seeing a scene not from the very beginning 
of Civil War, but somewhere in it. That's what it felt like. It felt like we literally got a cut from the next movie that will play exactly the same. It's not an original scene. It is more like a preview. But it's awesome. I mean, my audience... They didn't clap. They laughed quite a bit, but they didn't clap or anything. But at this moment, got applause when Chris Evans is there as Captain America and the Falcon's there again and Bucky. Then when Falcon says, I know a guy, we know. And then it it comes up literally on the screen. Ant-Man will return. Actually, if they didn't put that, I wouldn't have thought that he was thinking about Ant-Man, even though he was (laughs) looking for it. I'm like, oh, Spider-Man? I mean, I I literally still am not thinking of Ant-Man as useful to the Avengers. I thought he was looking for Ant-Man just so he could get revenge on him for beating him up. Like, I didn't get it why until this post-credit scene. I got to say, though, there was like a group of like four or five guys behind me. Must have been huge. Either they're huge Marvel Cinema fans or they're just huge Marvel fans. I I think they were all spontaneously ejaculating. Like, they were so excited. I was covering the back of my head. They were just so excited, like almost screaming. And I'm sure they were pumping their fists, like so excited by that scene and what was coming. Yeah, I want to see Civil War too. Yeah, absolutely. So Jacob Stewart, do you give a little recommend to Ant-Man? Jacob. Yeah, I, I'm thankful that we've avoided so many of the puns. We have not gone Howard the Duck level <laughs> on this film. But I was thinking, like, Howard the Duck when I was watching this, when you say, like, there is roots of getting this film done in the 80s, like, yeah, this does seem like something, maybe if Howard the Duck had done a little bit better, maybe they would have got an Ant-Man film, and it works in that kind of vein where here's a silly superhero film, and I kind of appreciate that after that bloated Age of Ultron, just, I'm not going to lie, I'm getting fatigued from all these superhero films because I have to see them all, and just so many of them seem to be the same thing. And this doesn't escape that criticism. This seems like a little version of Iron Man. Like, you get the suit, you got a bad guy that has a similar theme suit, they fight... It's not that different. You know, you got some Honey, I Shrunk the Kids thrown in here. It's better than that. I watched that about a year ago. Has not held up. (laughs) But yeah, I have fond memories of it. But no, it didn't work for me rewatching. But this, I appreciated. We literally got a different perspective from the Marvel Universe, a smaller one. I like that it was a lighter film. I don't know why you end phase two on this, except I guess to throw in the Doctor Strange realm. But, you know, I, I equate this, yeah, to Big Hero 6. This is a kid's film, essentially, and I enjoyed it more than Big Hero 6, so it's, yeah, it's a little recommend. Stuart. Yeah, you know, having it exceed very low expectations makes you want to endorse it. I mean, if this were the Fast and the Furious franchise, one of the best. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the very best. I mean, you know, I grade on a scale. When I think about comic book movies before Marvel Studios proper, one of the best. I mean, Hasselhoff and Reb Brown and all of that. This feels like one of those movies. That's what makes it feel weird, is this feels like a superhero movie before Marvel Studios proper made superhero movies better. And that's the problem, is they've upped their game. You know, we expect more. And I know when a Marvel movie is really good. It's few and far between for me. The ones that are really good, Captain America 2, Iron Man 1, The Avengers 1. Those are the ones. And when it's not that decisive, it's really hard for me. You know, a lot of times Marvel movies just kind of head to the sticky middle where there's really good stuff, really not good stuff, and kind of blast stuff all mixed into one. And I have to kind of piece out... Well, which way am I going to go? We have a binary system. I can't go. It was okay. I have to say green 
are red. That's hard, you know, because if I give this movie a green light and not Guardians of the Galaxy, I'm basically saying this movie's funnier than Guardians of the Galaxy. It is not. It is definitely not. The truth is, I didn't care. I did not care about this movie. I should have never seen this movie. <laughs> I have no opinion on this movie. So I am going to let the Marvel army dictate what I'm giving it. I want you to put on your earpiece. I want you to think really hard. I've got a coin right here. And whatever you want me to say about this movie, think it really, really hard. I'm going to flip this coin and you make it heads green, tails red. And that's what it'll be. So this is on you. This is not my decision. This is whether you're good enough to make your opinion heard. So here we go. One, two, three. It's a green light. It's a heads. So I endorse Ant-Man. <laughs> Yet, because you flipped a coin, I feel it's a red. I feel that's the reddest <laughs> green ever. <laughs> whatever you want to call it. I'm not all about labels. You know, whatever you want to say. You heard my thoughts. I wish people would pay more attention to what I say than what I what arrow I give it at the end. I wasn't really that impressed with the movie. It had about four minutes of really cool stuff, a lot of filler, a couple things that annoyed me, but overall it was a it was right in the middle. I don't think anyone will call this their favorite Marvel. It's certainly not the worst. And so I'm satisfied with the uh, rating I gave it. And I agree with you both on a lot of points. This is not the best Marvel film. This is not the worst Marvel film. This is a run-of-the-mill average Marvel film. It follows the Iron Man formula, but it doesn't have the Iron Man magic. And you know something? The movie it kept reminding me of was Captain America, the first Avenger. And that's the only other movie in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe where I felt they had a director for hire that doesn't bring something to the role. Thor, the Dark World, I may not have liked it, but you got some Game of Thrones people in there. It makes sense that you're trying to toughen up Asgard. And... Joss Whedon for Avengers, obviously that makes sense. Whether the films click or don't click, but Joe Johnston with Captain America and Peyton Reed with Ant-Man, they don't feel right for it. And I think Reed just wanted a reliable gig. He tried to be the director of Guardians. Thank goodness he wasn't. It's a solid Green Arrow, and I wonder if, like Captain America, the first Avenger, this film will grow on me more over time. The good parts will shine more, and the bad parts I'll notice less. But it's not the worst, and I've recommended what I consider to be the worst. There's some great moments in here, and I do mean great. Louise's montages, both of them, great. Stanley's cameo as a bartender, great. Also, when Scott is on his missions, and Hank is back at the base giving him commands through the headset... I actually really like that dynamic. It's unlike anything we've seen in a Marvel movie before. What it kept reminding me of was, I don't know if either of you, I know you haven't started, what am I saying? Jacob, I don't <laughs> know if you've seen Batman Beyond, where yes. Bruce Wayne was too old for it and had to get another kid, but he sat back and gave the commands. I was getting that vibe, and I liked it. I liked Michael Douglas in this film a lot. He was Luis was my favorite actor, but Douglas was the best. But again, I mean, so many complaints I've had with these Marvel films. A poorly set up, poorly motivated villain, and this one has some dragging pace. I recommend it, but 
it's right there in the middle ground between last year, which was Marvel's best year, and the year before that, which was Marvel's worst. Well, yeah, let's talk about Marvel in general, because we've called this the end of Phase 2. Is it that different from Phase 1? Do you feel like they're in a trajectory that's up or down? You know what's funny is I I charted all this out. Phase 1 got four recommends, two not recommends for me. Phase 2, with Ant-Man... Got four recommends, two not recommends. I think the difference, like, I have fonder feelings of phase one. That's because Iron Man kicked it off and was such a surprise and so strong. And Avengers was such a strong finisher. Phase two two-week openers with Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World. Winter Soldier was the high point, and Avengers 2 wasn't even the closer, and it just felt so bloated. Even though the recommends fell the same way for both phases, for me, Phase 2 feels the weaker one because it started weak and it didn't end great. Phase 2, for me, has higher highs and lower lows. When I ranked all 12 Marvel Cinematic Universe films, the number one film was from Phase 2. Yeah, Winter Soldier, of course. The Dead Bottom film was from Phase 2. Nope. Oh, my two bottoms were from Phase 1. I mean, but when I get to that bottom group, I mean, they're all movies I never want to see again. And yet I will see all of them again, and I have seen all of them multiple times, even the worst of the worst. But I think Phase 1 felt more consistent to me. There was never a Phase 1 film that I felt was really subpar. The worst for me was Iron Man 2, which just felt meddled with. Whereas there's two films in Phase 2 that honestly, when I think about them, I gave them green arrows, but I gave them scathing green arrows. (laughs) You were a fan. Iron Man 3 in the Dark World. Yep. (laughs) So Phase 1, and also I can't deny, seven years ago is quite a while. I have some nostalgic memories of seeing Avengers and Iron Man 1. Phase 1 wins over Phase 2, but Phase 2's a strong competitor. I thought Phase 2 was just going to suck after Iron Man 3 and Thor The Dark World. They pulled out of a steep nosedive. But ranking Phase 2, I'd go Winter Soldier top, followed by Guardians. Ant-Man and Avengers 2 are honestly a near tie for me, but I think I'm going to edge Ant-Man above Avengers 2 because it was more fun. Avengers 2... It had better characterization, but it still had a weak villain, and it had so much weirdness like Thor in the bathtub that just never went anywhere. And then at the bottom, Iron Man 3 and Thor 2. Thor 2, it's not even a competition that's lowest. That's the exact same ranking I had for Phase 2. I mean, yeah, Ant-Man and Avengers Age of Ultron were close. Ant-Man at least felt a little refreshing. It felt like it was trying to do something different, that it was smaller compared to the bloat of Age of Ultron, which made it me nearly edge Ant-Man above Age of Ultron. But yeah, same ranking for Phase 2 for me. Yeah, I feel like Phase 2 is on par with Phase 1, that some got better. You know, I looked at more like each individual. You know, some got better, some got worse. Iron Man continues to slide. You know, one, two, three, he just keeps getting lesser each time I see Robert Downey Jr. Avengers, not as strong in the Ultron chapter by far. A a precipitous drop in both of those. But Captain America, 
way better. And Thor, better. Mm -mm. (laughs) Yeah. Both bad movies. I mean, they have not made, quite honestly, they have not made anything as atrocious as Thor. I agree with you there, Stuart. That's the bottom. And that's Brano. I mean, that's that's an illustrious director and Anthony Hopkins, all these great actors. Not dissing Hemsworth. I think he's made a terrific Thor. His first movie was incomprehensible romantic garbage that should never be watched. I will never watch it again. So Marvel, I don't think they'll ever mess up that bad again. I actually think they got their brand in control. They're not going to let these directors influence it. And sometimes that can be sad because we want them to have personality. But at the same time, it means you're going to get a consistent product. And that's what they're in the business for. So I think that phase two has been very consistent. The only one I genuinely liked was Winter Soldier. And that's because it was adult. It was exciting. It had my favorite Avenger in it. And it was just a well-made, surprising, good political thriller. Then there's like three in the middle. And it's, yeah, I think maybe Ant-Man, Ultron, Guardians is the order. Maybe or not. You know, flip a coin again, whatever you choose. They're all in this sticky middle where I don't really care about them at all. And then Thor, I gave points really for saying it had improved so much. They were finally making a fantasy action movie instead of a Twilight sequel, but it's still a bad movie. I should have never given that a green arrow. (laughs) You gave that a green arrow? Go listen to it. It was me saying, I don't want to watch any Marvel anymore. And so if you think this is good, fine, you win. And then Winter Soldier came and I was like, oh, okay, I care again. And that's just the truth of it is Marvel is making a consistently mediocre product that occasionally knocks it out of the park, but probably will never be as bad as Incredible Hulk or Thor in its early days. I think that it's kept the lows from getting lower. Unlike you, Arnie, I don't think the lowest are here in Phase 2, but I agree, there were a little more highs in Phase 1. Yeah, what's funny is when I rank all 12 films, like, I have three distinct categories. Those that, like, yeah, these are recommends, and yeah, these are not recommends. And then I got that middle I mean, Winter Soldier, Iron Man, Avengers, even Guardians, which didn't blow me away, but I could solidly recommend that film. Those are all, you know, in that ranking, all there. The sticky middle for me is Captain America, the first Avenger, then Ant-Man, then Avengers 2, then Iron Man 2. That's just like, yeah, I'm with you, Stuart. I could flip a coin on a lot of those. Captain America, maybe. That one had some charm. It had a shit ending, is the problem. Yeah, I feel okay about that one. But this middle, I just don't care about. And that the problem is then I have the bottom four, which is Iron Man 3, Thor the Dark World, Incredible Hulk, and Thor. The problem is I got four that I really don't like, and then four that I'm kind of ambivalent about, which, you know, even though most of these have gotten recommend from me, it just feels like, yeah, mediocre is the right word. I don't have a strong feeling overall about this Marvel experience as we enter Phase 3. Oops, I just realized I forgot to rank Iron Man 3 when I ranked Phase 3. I guess that says everything, doesn't it? But it's better than (laughs) Thor 2, but it would be the second worst. Yeah, and when I went back and ranked everything, it was honestly a question for me about what gets the number one spot. Because there's really the top tier, which on any given day could be my favorite. And that's Captain America the Winter Soldier, which I'll always say is the best of them, but may not be my favorite of them. And then Iron Man, for this arbitrary first listing I put in second. Guardians, third. I kept wondering, is Guardians second, first, third? Wow, over Avengers. Yeah, I'm shocked Avengers is coming in fourth. Avengers is coming in fourth. But it's like, 
on any given day, that could bubble around. Yeah, I get you. I agree. They have a top tier. You know when they made a really good one. And mm-hmm. I'll give you Guardians. If you think it was funny, then it was a really good one. I just didn't laugh. So that was the difference. But it was a great looking movie and it was well done. And those are the four films I've seen the most. Like, I will just constantly rewatch them. I, if I go to San Diego Comic-Con... All four of those will be on my iPad, and it's a question of which one I watch that trip. Then there's the middle ground, which are films I like, but I don't love. They're flawed films, but still, in my mind, good movies, better than the bulk of superhero movies we've reviewed. And in the order I gave them, Thor is up top, which I know you two are groaning about. Mm. But yes, it is the first step away from my favorite tier. Ant-Man comes in right below Thor. Avengers 2... Like I said before, it's almost a tie with Ant-Man. I think I need more time to process them. When we finish Phase 3, I'll have a better answer here. But Ant-Man and Avengers 2 were both the fine films of Phase 2. And then Captain America, the first Avenger, and Incredible Hulk. And then there's the third tier, which are the really weak recommends. Films that I'm mostly ambivalent to. Iron Man 2, Iron Man 3... Thor The Dark World. Yeah. You know, with me, I just think more about the problem with Phase 2 is not that the quality dipped, it's that it's moving in a direction that was less interesting to me. It was Disney, and I do see a Disney influence that all of a sudden, Robert Downey Jr. is palling around with a child, and Ant-Man is trying to please a daughter, and Guardians is full of stuffed animals they're calling characters. (laughs) I see that. But also, I just feel like they're adding more characters than I want. You know, the first Avengers, it was exciting. Each one, they were building towards it. You're like, oh my god, there's going to be this whole huge team that's exciting. I'm done. I'm good. They don't need to add anymore. They keep those. I don't need Vision. I don't need Falcon. I don't need these new ones. So the trouble is, is as these old stars are going to be falling away and moving on with their lives... Uh, what they're replacing it with does not have the same joy. No, and I think it's very telling that they've announced all of Phase 3, and it's all new heroes. There's the sequels, but it's Black Panther, Doctor Strange, Captain Marvel, and then Thor 3, Cap 3, Avengers 3, and 4. Mm -hmm. It's also telling to me that they kind of knew what they were making here, because there's no Ant-Man 2 in that list. Now, Paul Rudd's contract is for three Ant-Man films and then other appearances in other movies. But we're recording this on Saturday and looking at the Thursday, Friday numbers, Ant-Man is the second lowest grossing film of Marvel's history. Not even adjusting for inflation. Tickets are more expensive now. The only one to do worse is the sequel-less Incredible Hulk. Yeah, I still think it's going to be a victory. It's going to be a grower. What it is, is people are going to discover it wasn't that bad. Is that a pun? (laughs) They aren't rushing to see it, and why should they? I mean, there's no urgency to this movie, but I think people will like it. If they like the Marvel product, again, this won't be your favorite. It is not the worst, by a long mile, and I thought it would be. And I think they've done a bad job in Phase 2, with the singular exception of Guardians, of introducing new heroes. Scarlet Witch. Vision. Falcon I like, but he's not, I don't know that, well I would because it's now playing and I'm a Marvel fan, but I wouldn't be jazzed if it's a Falcon solo film. And Ant-Man, the only one that they've really created new icons with was Guardians. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm open to some new characters because I want this to feel fresh again and 
I think Marvel has done that on the small screen with Daredevil, and they're going to be introducing Punisher on there, and people are super excited about that. I, I want that to translate. I don't want to see the same heroes over and over. I want to see new styles. I want to see new characters. I, I don't know if I want this tight universe. I don't mind seeing the characters, but I, I want them to have some artistry in them and not just be total commercial endeavors. I agree, and I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for Phase 3 because the Russo brothers are the new Joss Whedon. Until Marvel stamps out their own creativity, too. <laughs> yeah, until they get pissed off. <laughs> Arnie, can't we also say that Marvel knows what they're doing? That maybe why these movies work out is because someone above the director is also making decisions? I think it can be a little bit fair. Yeah, but we've called them mediocre. Could they have been great if they let the directors do what they want? True, I agree. Yeah, we'll never know what an individual director's personality could do for it because that won't be allowed. And phase one was very different. Marvel was less controlling on the earlier films than the later ones when they finally had this long-term roadmap. But the fact that the Russo brothers are coming back for Captain America Civil War, I honestly believe that could be a much better film than Avengers 2 because we're going to focus on just a couple of the Avengers. And I wonder if it's Downey's last movie. I'm not sure. I don't think there's a public announcement. And then the Russos are taking over the next Avengers films. And I'm basing it just on Civil War. And maybe Civil War was a lucky lightning in a bottle situation. But of all the directors we've seen thus far, if Whedon isn't returning... I'm glad they're taking it on. I'm not going to get too excited. They made a great film. They made the best film. So hopefully they'll make another great film. That's my hope for them. But I'm not laying all my hopes that these directors are going to somehow be insurgents that make Marvel better. I think it's just, it's the material. You know, I like certain things. I want to see a political thriller more than I want to see Muppets in space. I mean, I think there's just going to be some that are interesting to me. So when looking the landscape, the ones I'm excited about are the occult, you know, magician horror movie guy. You know, I'm hoping... I don't know who's directing it. It's not Guillermo del Toro anymore, right? No, but it is a horror movie director. Scott Derrickson. Scott Derrickson. Mm, okay. You know, I hope he can rise to the occasion. I haven't loved his stuff, but he's got some talent, and uh, I want that one to work. That's one I want to work. Black Panther sounds cool. I don't want to watch the Avengers find jewelry. I really don't. That doesn't interest me. <laughs> They're not going to find it. They're going to fight it. Yeah, even worse. Yeah, Green Lantern and crayons, colors. Uh, sometimes these things just get a little too rudimentary for me to care. I would say the ones that I'm looking forward to, Phase 3, Civil War, Doctor Strange, Black Panther. Those are the ones that really grab me. Captain Marvel is a woman, right? Yes. She is now. What does she do? What's the thing? Flies. Strength. She's Superwoman. Only intergalactic instead of earthbound. Okay, I need more than that. All right, so those are the three. Those are the three I'm excited about. <laughs> I'm excited primarily for Civil War right now. I'm intrigued by the new properties. I would say in excitement, Civil War is my number one. Guardians 2 is my number two. Avengers 3 and 4, because I know where they're going... And because they're splitting it into two movies, which so rarely works for me, I mean, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, I mean, whenever they try to Matrix, take the store, yeah. yeah, Matrix, I'm nervous about those. I'm intrigued by Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and Doctor Strange. Of the three of those, Doctor Strange is the one I look forward to the most. I've read comics with Black Panther and Captain Marvel. They're fine in a team, but I'm not really into their solo books. I've read a few of them, and they just didn't click with me as heroes. And so I'm curious to see how they pull it off on screen. Black Panther's coming along much faster, and so I think as we get close, my excitement will ramp up, or 
They could just be two more Ant-Mans, where I'm like, well, there's a new Marvel movie. I guess I'll go. Yeah, either way, we'll be there. I mean, that's what we're committed to doing. And so the next official Marvel is May of 2016, but the next Marvel is like in two weeks, three weeks. Fantastic Four. I got to see yet another new trailer for that before I saw Ant-Man. And where did the thing's pants go? (laughs) Is he pantless? He is pantless. Yeah. It's probably best that he doesn't wear blue underwear. I can respect him for that. (laughs) So he's going commando. That's better for you. It is. He has no thing hanging there. That must be why he's so angry. (laughs) This is better for me. I got to say, I don't like Fantastic Four. I think it's a very silly concept. But of the three we've watched so far... This looks better than any of them. And so, you know, I like some of these actors involved. I, I'm not excited. I'm not even kind of excited. But I'm, I'm thinking I might not hate it. You know, it's funny because you mentioned Fantastic Four. Honestly, looking at next year, looking at the next superhero films we're covering. Yeah, Captain America Civil War is my number one. I think Suicide Squad's my number two. Batman v Superman's my number three, and Deadpool's my number four. Don't be starting no DC Marvel War on this show. It's already long enough. <laughs> we can't be debating those universes yet. Let's wait until we get to, yes, Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad is when we can start making real comparatives between DC films and Marvel films. Well, also, just to let people know what's coming up on the now playing schedule, it was posted to our website, but for those who don't know, when we finally finish these copious amounts of weekend of release shows with Mission Impossible 5 and Fantastic Four. So many weekend of release, they're interrupting our regular series. We'll get back to Mission Impossible. We'll finish that up eventually. But then after that, we're going to do another theatrical tie-in, the Transporter films. Transporter Refueled is coming out in early September. We're going to do all three Jason Statham Transporter films before getting to the Jason-less Refueled. And then after that, of course, a galaxy far, far away. Not so far. Yeah, Star Wars coming soon. Well, before we go, we have one last thing. The contest winner of our Terminator Genesis contest. All right. I I didn't think anyone won with that movie, but uh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Who is it? All right. The winner of the not one-to-one scale, not full scale, but the replica Terminator skull and a not mint poster is Yankee Fan 2014. So Yankee Fan, congrats, you win first place. In second place, getting a one-to-one scale Terminator memory chip and a not mint poster, Makeshift Python. So both of you drop me a DM on the forums or a private message on the forums. I'm Arnie C. And give me your mailing addresses and we will get these prizes out to you. Congratulations. Terrific job. And we hope that you keep coming back to the forums. That's why we kind of had the contest was we wanted to spark some fire there and see more people show up and have in-depth. That's where forums really excel over Facebook is that you can say more than, you know, just a sentence or two. I'm not going to read a giant paragraph on Facebook, but in the forums it's appropriate. And I'll see you there. And so we will return to the Marvel Cinematic Universe next with Captain America Civil War where the Avengers assemble to fight each other. Was the Ant-Man real? Just a tall tale. Right. How could anything so miraculous possibly be real? Thank you for listening to this episode of the now playing Avengers Retrospective Series. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. 
part of our Marvel Comics movie retrospective series. This is a whole new level of weird. I don't feel inclined to step away from it. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, go to our archives where you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics movie series such as X-Men, The Fantastic Four, Blade, and Punisher, plus DC Comics reviews of Green Lantern, Batman, and Superman. Good luck keeping up. We also have non-comic-based movie reviews such as Star Trek, Terminator, Halloween, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Tron, and many more. I'm bringing the party to you. You will also find individual movie reviews such as Cowboys and Aliens, Avatar, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. We made this thing, all of us. Please. While at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss this show with other listeners. Here we remain as a beacon of hope, shining out across the stars. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. You've seen what he becomes, right? I have. And it's beautiful. Godlike. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. You have to explain that statement, sir. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping in our store, where you can buy t-shirts, totes, boxers, coffee mugs, teddy bears, and much more. Get yourself something nice for me. I already did. And? Oh, it's very nice. Yeah. Very tasteful. Now Playing's Avengers Retrospective Series is edited by Heath and Arnie. I've moved on to the next one because that's what we do, right? I mean, that's the job. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Wow. You spoke to me with what you did, and I know that you knew that I'd be listening. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or Marvel Studios, Paramount Pictures, Universal Pictures, or the Disney Company. The Avengers, Captain America, Iron Man, Thor, The Incredible Hulk, and all that the Marvel Universe contains are the property and trademark of the Disney Company, and no infringement is intended. You really think that just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2015, all rights reserved. Any last words? Hulk! Smash! Hey, are we the good guys? Yeah. We're the good guys, right? Yeah, we're the good guys. Feels kind of weird, you know? Yeah, but we're not done yet. Road to Peace thing they're talking about is somebody slipping into the limousine of some dick dictator or... Some dick? <laughs> well, I was going to say diplomat, but... So they're making a callback to the only other previous live-action Ant-Man ever. Wow, that's straining. I didn't know who this man was. I've never heard of what you spoke of. Oh, you don't know Garrett Morris? He's currently on that show, 
two broke girls with yeah i'll stop you there no i don't know cat <laughs> <laughs> denning yeah yeah, yeah not thank you. not watching that one no <laughs> he's acted since the 70s he was an original sneller not like a later sneller he was there with murray and chase and Aykroyd. i believe you you know i don't watch movies with saturday night live people in them i i don't <laughs> most of if they have a saturday night live person in it chances are very good i haven't seen it so no grown-ups or grown-ups too nope. i take it So that Saturday Night Live retrospective that people are calling for? I'm the newbie. I'm the newbie. We'll have to get Marjorie or Jerry on it. (laughs) Well, Marjorie would be the fan. No, I'm not saying I wouldn't watch them. I'm saying I don't know anything about them. (laughs) Oh, good. If Marjorie's the fan, that means I don't have to be there. No, it means I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Dang, I don't want to be on that one. (laughs) This is a run-of-the-mill average marvel film it follows the ant-man formula but it doesn't capture the did i say it follows the ant-man formula i yes. think you did yes. <laughs> okay <laughs> it might i mean we've never seen one before the transporter films transporter refueled is coming out in early september so we're going to be doing all three jason latham's transporter films before getting to the latham jason statham (laughs) although jason latham wishes he was in them (laughs) 